Climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to November 27, 1991 in the Legacy Series. This is an episode that in many ways we've been building to. Um, it is the Hulk Hogan Undertaker matchup, but this is also the last episode in the Legacy Series before we go on hiatus. So this will uh, culminate a lot of things from the 80s until now before we take that step later on into the last of 91 and 1992. The subject of death is upon us with The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan, as I was was thinking about last night before I went to bed. The funny thing about that kind of subject is even when it's all around us, we definitely do not want to look it in the face. I grew up in religion and a religion that heavily influenced um, the subject of death and afterlife. And somehow, if you had asked me, I would have said it's not about death because we just don't want to look it in the face. I took classes as an undergrad in existential psychology when I didn't even know what it was. And boy, was I in for something interesting. Boy, there's a thing about life, and that is often the thing in your head is worse than the reality but could you really say that about death because death is so final isn't it but i got to thinking about this guy the undertaker who in lopforms.com in the section of the legacy series we have started a conversation about is the undertaker the true leader an initiator of the new generation. I'm not talking about the copywritten, marketed new generation that claims Bret Hart than Diesel. I'm talking about the only man who is putting the past behind us and ushering ushering in space for something else. I believe it's our prof because I had said, I mean, look at the Undertaker. He went he went at uh, the Ultimate Warrior. He went at Hulk Hogan. And I was reminded, no, man, he's already taken out Dusty Rhodes and Jimmy Snuka. This man is separating the past from the future in a time where this past is immovable. And I started to think about Survivor Series 1991 and not letting it be attached to what I know is to come, which is an even sadder Hulk Hogan run before he's gone. And I started to wonder, is Survivor Series a chance at a mercy kill is it an opportunity to put hulk hogan down in the kindest and most merciful way possible because there's a funny thing about being on top nobody wants to do you a favor when they move you aside rick flair wants to come in and not only beat hulk hogan but then establish through beating hulk hogan i was actually better than you for the last 10 years Bret Hart eventually will say, hey, I want Hulk Hogan to know that he's not the best and that people his size shouldn't be champion anymore. And it's time to move on to a whole different thing. But, hey, man, can you put me over first? But quietly. And I think without pain, despite Hulk Hogan's performance, which we'll talk about later, this undertaker arrived and has simply put Hulk Hogan to bed. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the midst of one of the strangest runs 
uh, in this legacy series. A 1991 that to me is every bit as engaging as 1997, which is my favorite year. It is chaotic in a way that I like. But when I step back and I look at the world through the Undertaker's eyes, is it even chaotic or is this stuff even easy? What is going on? We're going to get into this. We're going to get into so much more. This is a special episode. Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is a Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. It is a season of change. For all of us, for myself, for the Mystic, for the WWF, as we cover what is going on, we're going to see something on this show that we have never really seen before. We're going to see Hulk Hogan go down in a more decisive way that we have seen, far more decisive than Andre and his evil plastic surgery twin referee supplied by Ted DiBiase, more than anything that we have seen, we will see. A big change tonight at Survivor Series. And then, even though it will only be a few days before the next pay-per-view, we will leave that change hanging in the air as we go on hiatus after this episode. It's really incredible to think about how much The Undertaker is an agent of change. Because here he is putting down Hulk Hogan. We've talked about all the other guys that he has put down, that he will put down in this era Who's the guy who allegedly will be taping his fists in the back as Shawn Michaels is on his way out? Who is the guy who will later on be facing Randy Orton, John Cena, all these other guys? Man, when people talk about the longevity of The Undertaker, you just have to think about all the changes that he oversaw in the WWF. and It's really incredible to think about, in my opinion. I love the word oversaw there because that's exactly what I feel like is happening. He, he seems to know exactly what he's doing. There's a lot that we're going to get into later on because I don't think Hulk Hogan's ever the same after this. Uh, this is really, I think, more than anything, Sid's not going to do anything to him at WrestleMania. It is the skeleton of Hulk Hogan, in my opinion, that returns in 1993. He just leaves his skin behind and just comes back and has a uh, slightly embarrassing run that somehow gets him a world title. And Yoko will finish him off. He'll finish the finished. But the Hulk Hogan that we know that looks like Hulk Hogan or still has at least a shred of what we've known of Hulk Hogan. It kind of goes down here. Survivor Series 1991. And I didn't find it. We, we know there'll be outside interference. But my God, I didn't find it that challenging uh, for The Undertaker to handle his business here at Survivor Series. <laughs> yes, they may call it the gravest challenge, but uh, was there a challenge or not? I don't know. We'll have to talk about that as we go. But uh, certainly you and I are in agreement that if Hulk Hogan had simply disappeared after the Ultimate Warrior downed him and reappeared in 1996 to uh, talk about a new world order, I think perhaps everyone would be better off in wrestling. Yes, it's so hard, and uh, I want to talk about the many different ways. I think there's a lot of people and a lot of things to consider because it's just not easy to move on. I think for Hogan, it's not easy. For Vince, it's not easy. Uh, but I think they're also maybe trying a little bit at times. But how you do it is complicated. Um, I do want to say to you, 
dear friend, as we talk about moving on and transitions, congratulations <laughs> on April. Congratulations on the things to come. Um, I have been working with you for a long time, and I am so proud and so happy for you uh, with what's coming for you. Well, thank you. That uh, gives me a big smile on my face. I'm sure everyone listening knows, but yes, my wife and I are expecting our first kid in a few weeks here, and uh, it's going to be a very big change, but uh, it'll be great, so we're looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, I don't know, even bigger change than the WWF is going through here. Yeah, these are these are the changes, you know, that it takes years and years of working with someone, you know, <laughs> to see these kind of changes like a lot of my closest friends especially from undergrad you know you all go your separate ways you live in different states you try to check in when you can but it's weird like to have a friendship based on pro wrestling but you do a weekly podcast you check in sometimes more than others so you know these legacies this is why this these things matter i think we call it the Legacy Series because storytelling and legacy matters, but it matters in our lives, and, and we're seeing that transition in the time, I think, where it will be a blessing because uh, God knows we need good transitions and good changes in our lives. Very true, very true. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this series has definitely been a benefit to me over the years and uh, beyond just the content, which, of course, has always been interesting in good and bad ways. Uh, I, I do want to thank you for all your great partnership over the years. It's definitely been uh, one of the most um, fun and rewarding things probably that I've done in the past 10 years to do this show. So I, I will thank you as well for all you've contributed to this. I appreciate that. And as a journalist on the level of Joe Galley of the NWA, um, I have to ask, are you just trying to create more Miz fan fans in order to stack the deck on this show? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if I was, you know, <laughs> I can't do anything, buddy, because you know, you, you made the choice. You got ahead of me and you're going to win the battle. My friend, <laughs> One more uh, person in the world who will understand that uh, Lex Luger was wronged all those years. So uh, I'm, I'm just trying to to affect the balance in the world for the for the greater good. We have reached a level seven, I think. So man, we're on a roll here. <laughs> I love it. So this is it's it's just a big time, and, and we appreciate all of you listening because this is well, I've said it before, so I won't belabor the point. But man, we started kind of writing the lockdown stuff and we wanted to do something for other people while also admitting that life was so unpredictable that we might have to quit the next week. So, you know, we made it a long ways for this section. We had done a little bit. I think previously we had done some WrestleMania one, maybe some WrestleMania two, some of that era. But man, we have seen everything from Hogan. Just take this new kid with the world title, throw in some celebrities and we can conquer the world to the Bundy cage, that big uh, blue cage to Andre, the giant, the Randy Savage, the ultimate warrior. So we say nothing in vain uh, when we do this episode today, because we have seen the history and legacy and we're not lightly treading upon this chaotic and unprecedented change that we find uh, here in 1991. Indeed so, but I have to say, in spite of uh, a big event happening on this show, after all that we've covered, especially in the last bonus episode, it almost feels like a bit of a footnote 
I think this goes to your uh, reluctant admission that you finally kind of understand wrestling without a ring, like what the appeal could be, because now that we actually have to get in the ring, um, you know, th- this is a fine show. It's a fun show. There's some good stuff on it, but I- I'm almost yearning for uh, some of the other stuff that we have covered that uh, affected me so much, especially in the last uh, bonus episode that we did. Yeah, I had a weird experience with this because the first matchup was a um, elimination with Ric Flair, and, and, and I, I thought this is a Survivor Series. It has Ric Flair in the opening match and Hogan Undertaker in the final matchup. Will this be the best pay-per-view in the entirety of the Legacy Series? Uh, two things about that. Um, Undertaker Hulk Hogan is not at the end of the show, and my God, this is not the best pay-per-view in the Legacy Series because <laughs> some of the other matches are awful. Yeah, this does not approach uh, one of the best, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly it has its good points, but uh, yeah, this this will not be a contender for one of the best shows. You gotta work hard to make some of these matches as bad as, as they are, and I don't know why one would do that, but one has succeeded if that was the goal. I got, there's only one match that I really want to speak again, so if there are others that you really disliked, I'll be interested to uh, to know which ones they are. Yeah, I, I know which one that we will agree upon. And the others, <laughs> That's know. a gimme, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a culmination of all the bad. But doesn't it just blow your mind? Because we've done so much where the minute that the world title kind of went into the pit and you no longer look forward to it, you had so many good mid-card matches and then by the time you can finally look forward to the world title match again, you know, some of these mid-card matches just take up. Well, can we then have that awfulness of, of what the of the what the main event had? Could you like just pass that on to us just to make sure that we don't have all good matches? <laughs> the dynamic of the show is bizarre. It really is. Um, yeah. I almost feel like they were put upon to even, like, have a pay-per-view here. Like, they, they put so much great effort into all these segments and promos that we've talked about, and then they had to have Survivor Series. It's almost like they forgot about it, uh, except for mm-hmm. the Hogan-Undertaker match, because beyond that, and, uh, you know, they're continuing the Jake Savage storyline, which doesn't even have any match on the show. They, they do some good promos about that. But, yeah, all of the elimination matches are, like, it feels like they were forced to do it or something like they, they weren't that interested in what these matches were going to be about. Yeah. It's why when people fantasy book, it's a lot easier to do that because I think in fantasy booking, I would be saying, yeah, I'm going to have a survivor series, but it's so chaotic and so much is happening. We're going to have another pay-per-view the next week. And it's just going to be awesome because it's going to reflect chaotic, awesome nature of this. But it's kind of hard because, when I'm watching that, if I had paid, what, 30 or $40, probably $40 for the Survivor Series, and it feels like an advertisement at times for Tuesday in Texas, I would not have been happy. When If I was in the arena and Jake and Savage are removed so they can do something at another time, I would not be happy. So it's part pay-per-view and part hype machine for something else, and we know that show is not going to do better than this show, so... It's one of those times where they kind of did exactly what I want as a fan, but I think it's the practicality and the reality of it is a little more difficult than the, the fantasy of it. I mean, I would say never even in a fantasy would I be like, oh, I'm going to have a pay-per-view on this day, and then six days later, I'm going to have another pay-per-view. I, who would ever say that? No, 
it's a very stupid idea. I don't know what they were thinking, and we're going to have it on a weird day of the week where people have to go to work the next day, and it's just, it's one of the most baffling decisions that I can think of. Like, God, if you want to have a pay-per-view on a Tuesday, go for it, but don't make it six days after your last pay-per-view, for God's sakes. I mean, it's pathetic. They, they had 17,000 people in Survivor Series, 8,000 at this Tuesday in Texas. They have a, a pay-per-view buy rate of 2.2 at Survivor Series and barely a 1 at this Tuesday in Texas. So, you know, whatever they were thinking, it failed because viewership fell off tremendously for the next pay-per-view. I can't blame people. Who's going to shell out again? This is not 1987. You know, we've liked 1991, but WWF is not so incredibly hot that they could just make insane decisions and people will go along. You know, that's just not working anymore. It feels like the kind of pay-per-view that will cause your parents to make you stop watching wrestling because <laughs> they just paid $40 so you can watch a three-hour show, which if they're not fans, they have no understanding for. And then you're telling them they have to do it again the next week because uh, Jake Roberts um, and Randy Savage are mad at each other, but they couldn't wrestle that night. And Undertaker, he beat Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan talked to Jack Tunney. So, you know, they're going <laughs> to wrestle again. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're not, I'm not giving you $40. When I just gave you forty dollars, so bad it's, it's, enough it's, that you should have to shell out again. But probably your parents will walk in while Jim Duggan and the Skinner are out there, or maybe the Bushwhackers, <laughs> and that that will seal the deal for you, young man. You will not be watching another WWE pay per view. Not forty dollars for that. And there and there's that guy. Isn't that the guy that uh, was burning the Hulk Hogan shirt, and now Hacksaw is with him? I thought Hacksaw was a role model for you, and now I can't let you watch. No, Hacksaw's good, and he's good. He he wanted his country back and something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just knew Sergeant Slaughter and Hacksaw would find their way to each other. Um, if you listened to the show earlier, that should have been the feud if you're going to have to have the feud the entire, the entire time. But... <laughs> All right, I guess uh, we better get into this show, this strange, strange mixed bag of a show. Yeah, so this is, um, as I said, uh, this is Joe Louis Arena, it's Detroit. This is uh, November 27th, 1991. It is Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan on the call. It feels appropriate that the kind of image for this is two floating heads, one of Hulk Hogan and one of The Undertaker. Uh, It's just something... Man, it feels like the WWF is marketed by accident to The Undertaker right now. (laughs) It's the strangeness of the floating head that seems to be more in his vein than in Hulk Hogan's. This has got, uh, I don't know if it's my imagination, but I'm watching the crowd. In the beginning, they feel hyped. They're looking around, and I feel like when the power of story is there... And you've been watching things like Ms. Fan and I are watching that bonus episode. And then you're in the building for the pay-per-view. You've got to be expecting some things to go down at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, us and the fans as well. And, well, something is going to go down and uh, it will have a certain effect on the fans. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I think we start with uh, flashbacks of Jake Roberts and the snake incident where Vincent Mann, um, I believe, called it the creepiest looking snake because you know the other snakes had wore bow ties and hats and been very proper but now these heel snakes are just monsters coming out of who knows where and scaring people 
Just saying. Indeed, yes. Uh, Damien never scared anyone, apparently. It was all justified. But this snake, well, he's got a little, like, you know, I don't even know what they call it, the little hood that it flips out. So that that alone makes it uh, an evil heel snake. It's just the uh, it's the small differences that only baby faces can pick up on. Yeah, and we've talked about this. I won't go too much into it, but there's nothing more Randy Savage than delirious Randy Savage swinging at the air. Like, you wouldn't even know he'd been bit by a snake if you just turned it on at that point. <laughs> I love it. Shades of Terry Funk, those wild mm. attacks. I always love to see them. Yeah, so we got this. But then the funny thing is, uh, Jack Tunney is on the move. We find out uh, that he has pulled Randy Savage uh, from the Survivor Series. And he has taken Jake at face value that he just thought that the snake had been defanged and that everything was good and that there was no problem. So um, Jack Tunney making an appearance. And this is an interesting character who seems to please nobody with his decision. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, just to say that Jake Robert or uh, to say that Jack Tunney is on the move is probably a first and a last <laughs> In uh, all of uh, the Legacy series, is a very distant authority figure who, for one time only, will not only make a decision, but uh, we'll find out at Tuesday in Texas, he will actually be at ringside for what might be the only time ever that I can recall. So, yes, Jack Tunney, that distant authority figure, is actually waking up a little and uh, getting involved, and um, that that's certainly something that we have not seen before. No, it, it it reflects something, and I don't know if we'll realize it by the time we get back. I just keep calling it a chaotic era, but I would definitely like to do more work on that mm. because 91 and 97 are my favorite years in this nature. I, I love – think about when uh, Shawn Michaels is losing his smile and he's supposed to wrestle Brett and Brett's supposed to wrestle this guy and this guy's supposed to wrestle this guy and nobody does anything that they're supposed to do. Mm. But we end up with like that night on Raw, maybe the greatest – uh, WWF Raw moment I've ever watched live where Bret Hart's pushing down Vince McMahon. He's swearing at everybody. Uh, Austin comes out. Sid comes out. Undertaker comes out. And it's just like that all the time. Nobody has a place. Nobody will stay in one. Everything's on the move. Everything's fluctuating. People have a desire. They're saying no to, hey, you stay here and let this guy go forward. Everything is just in motion all the time. It's a 91 thing. It's a 97 thing. It calls out Gorilla Monsoon uh, when he's in charge. It calls out Jack Tunney because somebody has to try to do something because there's just too much desire. There's too much passion. There's too much uh, just risk taking. There's too much grudge. There's too much feud. There's too much want. And nobody will be the one that is just kind of sat down in an era like this. Mm, indeed. It's an era where everybody is on the move. Everybody is popping up. Nobody is content just to sit in their place. And uh, it's very exciting. You know, this is some of the best times in wrestling, like we've talked about. And, man, it just, when everybody feels alive, you feel alive, too, as a fan. Your, your fandom is living. It's unpredictable. It's something different than you'll get every day. So that, it's really something. You know, I can certainly see why a young mystic might watch in this era and uh, be hooked for life for one extent to another. Yeah, it's just, I mean, at a felt sense level, it just is is appealing at all times. Like Jake Roberts, I've never seen so much hostility from 
you were so great to, to find that material with the bachelor party where he's all he's he's been one of the most loyal baby faces mm, yeah. for so long that you don't even question it and yet they keep him in this place mm. and now that he's turned heel gene ogerlin is in a feud with him trying to put him down really i think wanting him to either leave the company or be as uh uh boxed in as a heel as he was a face and he is just grinning in the face of it and won't be still the undertaker has no business in a world title match but he doesn't know it and he has stepped in front of Ric Flair in the line to Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage is supposed to be retired, and he's reinstated. Roddy Piper is supposed to be in the booth, and he's running down the ringside every other minute because of what's happening. This is what I'm talking about, and this is what I'm trying to give definition to, and it will take a longer time than this show. But, man, you can't do this all the time because I don't think it can sustain itself. But when you find yourself in this kind of climate... I don't know how you don't do anything except enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. I, I love what you're saying. People are running out from commentary. They're, they're just uh, defying what they are meant to do, what they're supposed to do. You got all these bright, colored characters popping off in every direction. Yeah, it's a damn exciting time. And you're right. Maybe you can't do it all the time. But, man, when you do it and you do it well, like we're doing it here, man, there's very little like it. The appeal of wrestling over other kinds of storytelling, I think, is that it is so large. It's larger than any comic book universe or any cinematic universe or, or whatever you want to say. Like, it's as large as life itself, and the possibilities just seem endless at times. This this is what I feel like it's impossible to articulate to a non-wrestling fan, but man, if you can get into that mindset, if you can pierce into this universe... Man, it's just infinite. Like, the possibilities, the conflicts, the personalities, they really are endless. Man, that's so true. I think sometimes it's hard to remind people working in the business of this truth. Because, <laughs> you know, we want to be everything else. We, we want to be the thing that's lesser than, than us sometimes. So, you know, but you're right. And I sometimes I'll get to trading clips with Benjamin Button, just texting things back and forth. And... You know, you can watch this stuff for decades and still find things that not only are new to you, but they are just as appealing as the things that you like the best. Mm. It doesn't end. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Wrestling is deep and wide. And uh, I think even if I one day become completely disenfranchised with modern wrestling, which is in no danger of happening for me, I know it's happened for some and uh, it is what it is. But even if that were to ever happen to me, man, I don't think I would ever run out of old wrestling to watch because, man, it is just it, it never seems to end. The great stuff that you can dig up, you can enjoy, man. I, I, wrestling just goes on and on and on, maybe forever. Yeah. And part of what ushered in that atmosphere in 97 is the ECW and WCW, WCW 96. So uh, my evidence that we are in similar stages would be that between Survivor Series and especially, of course, Royal Rumble, you have the Bobby Heenan of WCW 1996, of that urgency, of that passion on call, because what's in front of him has that much uh, urgency in itself. Absolutely. Bobby Heenan, perhaps never more intense in the booth, never more dedicated to a cause. His mantra will become, it's not fair to flare 
and he will move that banner forward at every opportunity. He's just so damn invested in what's going on. He will definitely be a standard bearer for this era. Yeah, and even tonight, he's not hedging his bets. He, I got quotes throughout the entire night. He starts off at the beginning, is Hogan's gravest challenge, but it's also going to be the biggest funeral because the Undertaker's going to bury Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania, and he is going to point this out all night long emphatically that Undertaker is ending Hulk Hogan tonight. Absolutely. If there's one thing that's more important to him than anything else, more important than Ric Flair succeeding, more important than getting those championships and that respect that he so craves more than anything, he wants to see Hulk Hogan go down, and lo and behold, he may actually get his wish tonight. Yeah, and we're talking about a richness um, in this era. We are beginning Survivor Series with a matchup that includes Ted DiBiase, the Mountie, the Warlord, and Ric Flair all on one team, taking on Bret Hart, Virgil, British Bulldog, and Roddy Piper on the other. This is the opening match at Survivor Series. <laughs> and we are starting, uh, it seems, with the main event, because this is the most stacked elimination match by far. And uh, I will say it is probably my favorite match of the night in terms of the actual uh, in-ring content. I would say it's uh, fairly comfortable in that spot. Uh, it's going to be a lot of good stuff, even though we'll talk about the ending, uh, maybe leave something to be desired. This is an amazing matchup to watch. I highly recommend it. And I just started writing down, before they even got started, all the ties that were coming to my mind. So I'm just going to throw these out here real quick, and mm. we can do nothing with them. Something with them doesn't matter to me. But um, you got the link between Ted DiBiase and Ric Flair. Ted DiBiase, if he had not gone to WWF, would have no doubt gone into Ric Flair's world and interrupted it. And if Ric Flair had gone to the WWF, the speculation, he would have been that million-dollar man gimmick. So we got that overlap. <clears throat> we got the Ric Flair, Roddy Piper history that now has moved into WWF. We got the richness of the IC title because Mr. Perfect, who started this thing, is at ringside. Bret Hart, the champion, is there. And then we got guys like Roddy Piper, British Bulldog, um, Teddy DiBiase, guys who will be evolved and around it. Then we got the continuing history of Ted DiBiase and Bret Hart at Survivor Series two years in a row. So there is just so many things that matter and that are rich about this matchup and these competitors. Absolutely. I think one thing Survivor Series can do is connect people in interesting ways. I feel like you just uh, touched on the tip of the iceberg for this match because uh, Piper is connected to Bret. Piper is connected to Virgil. Brett is connected to Davy Boy. Uh, Flair and Brett, they're on the verge of having a mm -hmm. conflict that nobody expects yet. The Mountie and Bret Hart are going to have an issue very soon as well. Davy Boy and the Warlord, they have been feuding previously. I mean, you can't look two ways in this match and not see like four connections going on. So there's a lot of good stuff going on here. And you feel it. You feel Bret Hart is a man who is trying to improve his uh, stake. He wants to be a world champion. You can feel his energy. You know the British Bulldogs on the rise. You know Virgil's in the best time of his career. And so you got all of that. And then you got Roddy Piper in the background. Then you got the Mountie, who's having one of the best WWF runs of his career. You got the Warlord. You got Teddy Biasi, who is so good. And then you got Ric Flair in the background. So you got this amazing three-on-three, three, but all and that people are enjoying every bit of it. 
but they're also going to lose their minds when we eventually get Ric Flair and Roddy Piper together. Absolutely. And you mentioned Mr. Perfect at ringside. We got Sensational Sherry as well. We've got a world-class commentary booth. Man, a lot of things are kind of coming together very well for this match right here. Yeah. This is... It's, it, it's still they still got everything that they had in the 80s, whether they've used it right or not. And they do have this coming world that is not just on the move, but it's kind of here now. And it, for, for how poorly some of this is going to overlap at other times of the night, it overlaps <laughs> just right here. It really does. And I got to take just a moment to praise the fact that seemingly for once we just have Monsoon and Heenan on commentary and nobody is shoehorned into the third spot. These are the only two guys that you need, and they do a world-class job on this show. Absolutely. It's so nice just to have them together. Um, we're finding, I think, better things for Roddy Piper and Savage, shockingly, uh, in wrestling matches and feuds, they do a little bit better. Go figure. Yes, finally. <laughs> they, they finally pick up on this. The only third man who should ever be in the booth with Heenan Monsoon is his lordship, Alfred Hayes. So yes. let's be clear about that. We also, another overlap, we have Gorilla Monsoon. Come on, ref. What do we have to do? Draw you a picture as he berates his son, Joey Morella. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we haven't talked about Joey Morella in a while. I love Joey Morella. That's great stuff. It is. I I mean, as a kid, I don't know how I even knew that they were father and son, but man, every weekend, every weekend he'd be yelling at Joey Morella and I would think, my goodness, (laughs) especially back then because you don't even know that fully it's a work. So you're like. Oh man, when it, there's got to be a weird relationship, like you know, when they see each other outside of it. It's like you know, you don't have to, you know. Could, could you imagine if Joey Morella watched the tapes back and is like, "Oh, here's the places you messed up, girl. Like, come on, man, that you should have said this <laughs> and you should have said that." You know. I can't oh. imagine that. I can't imagine having Gorilla Monsoon as a father, so I can't even. <laughs> I can't pierce that world at all. Yes. Oh, man. So this is beautiful. The managers are already supposed to be barred from ringside, which God bless Bobby Heenan. You know, I've said this on previous shows. He is always quick to um to call out, I think, the slippery slope there as if you can ban managers sometimes, why can't you ban managers all the time? And why do we have managers license and how do you get to do this? And you should not be able to do it. Mm. So Bobby Heenan is on that. But Sherry also has another idea, which is I'll just stay at ringside. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I would not tell Sherry. She has to go anywhere. I would be afraid for my life. So good for Sherry, defying as always. And I don't think they would have, but um, she is quick. To, uh, I think maybe to show us the other side of what, why maybe the managers are uh, barred from ringside in this one. <laughs> hey, Sherry, running into fight guys who deserve it uh, is is a point in her favor, not a point uh, against her being at ringside. You know, she. She knows what people deserve better than any baby face, so I'm, I'm with her all the way. Yeah, so she'll come in and attack Piper. Um, Joey, Joey Morello will have to eliminate her at that point. Teddy Biasi, man, there's, there's just so much as we go through this, but I like a world where Teddy Biasi is kind of your Ric Flair when you don't have Ric Flair, but he doesn't cease being Teddy Biasi when you get Ric Flair. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, DiBiase does a great job in this match. Really, everyone, I think, performs very well in here. Uh, what I was most impressed by, I think, is uh, you see Piper and Flair go at it at one point in this match, and man, the crowd is just ballistic for it. And please carefully note the crowd reactions in this match compared to later in the night, because I will have an interesting point to make about that. 
Yeah, the, the fans are hyped here. Um, Bobby Heenan's hyped. He says, there are banners everywhere that says Hulkamania lives. Those banners are all going to be torn up in the back of the car before long. <laughs> ah, that's that's a, spectacular. I love that. Yeah, that's a tough comment. And it's very, as again, it's very matter of fact. It um, is. It is. We will Virgil see gets a Virgil gets a really big ovation in his first tag in. He does. Virgil is very hot right now. He he is um, a testament to the strength of the Ted DiBiase character, but also to Virgil himself, who too often is a punchline in wrestling. I think, and uh, you just have to look at this run. And man, he puts in some good work. You know, he's legitimately very popular during this run. Yeah. As I changed my page, I noticed the Bobby Heenan comment was followed up by wishful thinking by Gorilla Monsoon. And Bobby Heenan says, I just got that feeling. And I would I would tell you, Bobby Heenan is Bobby the brain, but do not underestimate the felt sense of Bobby Heenan. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, he is wise beyond uh, the credit he receives from the baby faces at times. Yeah, so Bret Hart, I think the first kind of pace and sequence is Bret Hart kind of gets some arm drags and gets some arm bars and gets his whole team uh, working over the arm. So we got uh, some of that going on. Uh, we do indeed. We move forward, and uh, I believe our first elimination is the British Bulldog, which may be a little surprising. We know what happens uh, in about nine months, but uh, Ric Flair will get him eliminated with some shady tactics, and Roddy Piper not to be outdone. We'll take the Warlord out, also with some shady tactics. And uh, speaking of people who don't stop being who they are, depending on uh, where they are in relation to others, certainly you have Roddy Piper, who will be as dirty as Ric Flair in uh, every one of their interactions. Yeah, this stuff is so good. I don't think there's any shame in being first eliminated in this match. True, you true. Know, somebody has to be. I also noted when Flair tags in for the first time, the greatness of Ric Flair is that he tags in and the fans are cheering, they're wooing, uh, and he's kind of got that swag, he's strutting, and then the first thing he does is run in the corner and try to do an elbow and miss it, and then they're all laughing at him. But neither one takes away from the other. Yeah, I mean, that's the greatness of Flair, certainly. He, he will so often uh, be willing to play the fool or uh, show ass, as they say, uh, often literally, and yet he will always be able to hang on to that quintessential Ric Flair uh, energy, that vibe, that feeling of uh, that he is uh, dangerous and capable and able to take over at any minute. Yeah, he gets into a slap-a-thon with Roddy Piper, which I said resembled the How I Met Your Mother slap bet, which also took place on Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it did. It did. Oh, that slap bet. I'm not going to get into that right now. But yeah. uh... <laughs> I, got way too, I got way too many notes on this matchup. But I, this is kind of stuff like it's that good that, you know, you just love everything. It doesn't even dodge just pinfalls and eliminations. Mm. It is just everything they're doing in this match. It's a great match. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, it's probably my favorite match on the show in many ways. Uh, obviously, there's one with more significance, but just for the action, this is the one that I like a whole lot. Um, you do. I'm not sure that slap fight or something else, but there was a point at which I felt Roddy Piper was really just kind of no-selling what Flair was doing, and I thought maybe maybe that's a little far. Maybe that's just a little bit of a Piperism because uh, he was never never the best at kind of putting others over, making them look good. So maybe a little far on that, but still, their interactions I think were a, a big highlight of this match. 
Yes. Uh, there's a military press before Bulldog gets eliminated, and I just got to tell a quick Barry Horowitz story that I bumped into. Okay. Who uh, Barry Horowitz uh, is going in on the Ultimate Warrior because mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior gave him the press slam, and uh, apparently it didn't go well. And then he's in the locker room, and he's like, he can hear it through the wall. Like, you know, that guy's been in the business 20 years and can't take a press slam from the Ultimate Warrior. Jeez. And then he says. Barry Horowitz says, and I'm quoting here, hey, I'm not the biggest Lex Luger fan, but best press slam in the business. <laughs> well, that is very gratifying, and I've heard that as well, that Lex Luger's press slam was solid as a rock and uh, you had no fear when you were up there, no fear coming down. So credit to Lex Luger and yet another fierce condemnation on the Ultimate Warrior, one of the mm-hmm. only moves that he was supposed to be able to do, and apparently he rarely did it well or correctly or even without harming somebody he was in the ring with. So good riddance to that guy. As soon as he comes back, I'm going to be all <laughs> over him again, and then hopefully yeah. he'll be gone before we know it. Yeah, it's just awful. And you're right. Like We legit watched years where he only had the shoulder tackle to press slam and the splash. So if you get three moves right, you got it. And the thing he never understood, ever understood, according to history, it seems, according to people in the business, he didn't know anybody was putting him over. He thought he was legit doing it to them, apparently, because <laughs> like, if a guy lets you do that to him, you, you say thank you to the guy. I'm not even a fan of Triple H, and I'm going to have some laughs when that comes around, but the same, it's the same thing that Triple H is going to be like, he's still in the WWE at the top now, but look what Warrior got to do to him. And it's just never an acknowledgement where you stop and say, hey, thank you for letting me do that. Mm. Like, I would take Triple H six ways from Sunday over the Ultimate Warrior, and I am not a Triple H fan, so that should tell you something right there. I would take Barry Horowitz a hundred times. I'd take him over either of them by a lot, so that, you know, that is what it is. <laughs> it's just a bad feeling because enhancement talent, folks, there might be some folks that don't understand. Enhancement talent enhanced talent. Mm. Like, in this era, they really, really, truly did. And so it's demoral. It's got to be demoralizing to go out there and wrestle a guy. Because Sid Sid, Sid is going to want to quit, and I'll get into this later. He's going to want to quit because of Hulk Hogan's backstage behavior. Uh, but he doesn't. Vince convinces him. you got to stay through WrestleMania. He quits because he has to wrestle the Ultimate Warrior, and he just can't do it anymore. Like that's what we're talking about. Sid quits because he's got to wrestle the Ultimate Warrior. And so you got a guy who is the top of the enhancement talent. Like, he's a... He's a guy who's going to get a push in WWF. He's a guy who could have been, you know, something else. And you go do your business with the Ultimate Warrior, who is on top of the world, and then you got to hear him through the wall talking like that. Mm. You know, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's absurd, really. Uh, Barry Horowitz, I'm honestly a big fan of the guy. Uh, we didn't get a chance to watch it on the show, but if you ever have a chance to check out his WWF tryout match, which is also an Owen Hart tryout match, do watch it, and you will greatly appreciate not just Owen, but Barry Horowitz as well. He is a very talented guy. He played a role. He damn well knows how to take a military press slam from somebody who's not an yeah. idiot. So, Jesus. Uh, Ultimate Warrior continues just to drive down to the bottom of my list and somehow beneath the bottom of my list. So, yeah. Just the worst. Because I'm sure Warrior didn't think it through, but... Like, this guy is so good that the only way he would mess it up is if he intentionally tried to sabotage you. And can you imagine a guy who's trying to work as enhancement talent between WWF and WCW being like, 
Let me go there and sabotage the Ultimate Warrior. That'll show him. <laughs> Absurd, man. Ultimate Warrior. Oh, just the depth of this guy's uh, ignorance, self-centeredness, just everything you hear about the guy is just terrible. Like, universally, it's awful. And I'm just not, I'm not the kind of guy that every single thing has to be scientifically proven before I say it, but if you were watching that amazing military press slam by the British Bulldog and you thought, I still think Luger's is better, I think it's scientifically proven after today that it's the, let me, let me find my quote, um, <clears throat> the best press slam in the business. <laughs> so. And I've heard that other places as well, Lux Luger's, uh, uh, power moves are often praised for being extremely secure and rightfully so from all that I have seen. This is why and we'll get, we'll get off this because it was, it was not meant to, uh, to engender all this, but Luger, uh, the reason I thought Luger flair was better when I was younger is because this thing flair, because they did the same stuff. But when you watch Lex Luger put some military presses and superplexes on Rick flair and then watch Sting do it. And it's not the same thing. Yeah, one of the strangest things to me is, yes, these flare-sting matches get so much praise, and sometimes they're good. You know, certainly the early ones, I think, yeah. have some value. But, man, it sure is just like a rehash of the Luger stuff and Sting. It's just strange that they didn't wrestle a different kind of match because Sting is not Luger. He is uh, smaller, not as strong, you know. He's faster. Uh, yeah. He leaps Thank higher. You know. So, you know, it's not even a bash on Sting. It's a bash on Flair, I think, that he just kind of decided to do the same match and call it the same way instead of figuring out something different. Yeah, his leapfrog was his kind of calling card. I never heard anyone say it was the best in the business, but it was a good leapfrog, very high. <laughs> I don't know. We saw that one show where they praised <laughs> the leaping ability of Sting beyond just about anything I've ever heard. Yes. So. <laughs> okay, so we'll get back to it. Another great exchange here is uh, Rick Flair is placed in his own move, the figure four. And then uh, Bobby Heenan will say, notice how Rick Flair broke that hold. And Gorilla Monsoon will say, are you watching? Um, it was DiBiase who broke the hold. And then Bobby Heenan will say, doesn't matter. He's out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how he broke the hold. You rely on yeah. his partner. So, you know, that's, that's fair enough. Oh, that's beautiful. So I don't know who goes next. Uh, oh, this, my friend, they all go next. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so we'll... Then, <coughs> excuse the me. drawback of this honest. match, yeah, I ahead. think, yeah, is the finish, because uh, rather than book out a proper finish, we get probably one of the lamest endings that I have seen in a Survivor yes. Series match. Basically, all six guys remaining will just start to brawl. Ric Flair will kind of be thrown out of the, the scuffle. Everyone else will keep fighting, and the referee just decides he will disqualify everyone except Ric Flair. Womp, womp. That's not a good finish. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing I like about that finish is the fact that if you're ever going to use it, it should be uh, Slick Rick, the dirtiest player in the game, who is on the outside and probably should be the only one counted out somehow winning the whole thing because I don't think anyone else uh, could pull that off at all. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right. But what a missed opportunity. I think. Yes. I know this is not the way the WWF thinks, but man, if you really wanted to push Ric Flair up the card, make him a real challenger for Hogan, let him win the match properly for God's sake. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a big missed opportunity. I think. Yeah. And there were some cool things. It's the problem of too many top stars being in the match, mm -hmm. and the heels are going to win. And 
by this time, we should not be surprised that they went out of their way to make it what they made it because right. you just can't have Ric Flair. You know, is he ever going to beat Hulk Hogan? We, that was the question, I guess, you asked it that day. When he can't beat Bret Hart and can't beat Roddy Piper and can't beat Virgil, then probably he's not going to beat Hulk Hogan either. <laughs> I can't imagine how you don't think that as a fan at the time. Like, maybe if you're a kid or something. But even if you're a kid, like, I don't know. Yeah. I You could have done a very similar finish to this, but just, like, closer to the true end of the match. But this match, you know, it's not a short match, but it's like... Man, this could have just kept going for quite a while, but we got kind of this bullshit decision, so here we are. It's kind of the power of uh, Ric Flair, though, and this is why Hogan never should have ran through him like he did in WCW, because Flair has just won the Survivor Series matchup by being outside the ring. He's going to win the Royal Rumble. He's going to have an amazing performance because he's amazing, and he's going to be the 60-minute man. But in part, he's going to win because Sid Vicious eliminates Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan helps eliminate Sid. So... As dirty as Hulk Hogan gets, like, it's so weird that throughout the 80s we had this thing where Hulk Hogan had the advantage because he's a babyface, but he's willing to at some point say, oh, that guy cheated, so now, like, the, the, the rules are thrown out. You know, that gave him an advantage over all babyfaces. It doesn't give him an advantage over Ric Flair because Ric Flair openly doesn't need a reason. He doesn't need a reason to cheat. He doesn't need a reason to win like this. If he had somehow won the Royal Rumble like this, he would have ran away with that world title and, and had no shame about it. <laughs> True enough, but I'll say they really got it right at the Royal Rumble. You know, you, yes. it, it's one thing to have just like a touch of interference. It's another to kind of throw the whole thing out. So they, they really got it right there, which they didn't do here. And, man, I'm just thinking ahead on this a little bit. And <laughs> Ric Flair will be calling out Hulk Hogan. We've seen him be the aggressor. We've seen him call out Hogan again and again, get in his face, burst his bubble. And man, Hulk Hogan will just never reply to this, will he? <laughs> like, no. he will never respond. He will just uh, kind of let it all go. So, wow. What do you think if you're a Hulkamaniac at this time and you see this go down? It's not a good look for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I'm going to take an unpopular opinion because I have no answers. I think everything's true and false in this whole scenario. But, you know, at the Royal Rumble, Sid will say he's never seen a grown man act like Hulk Hogan. You know, he's going to be in the back calling, like, like swearing at Vince McMahon, saying, like, you set me up to sabotage me. And, you know, Sid wanted to leave that night because he just had never seen anything like that. But I am not 100% sure that Vince was not trying to um, I don't want to say sabotage Hulk Hogan, but man, trying to really take that shine off of Hulk Hogan, maybe in a natural way, or maybe, I don't know, you can make the argument that, like, as, like, the top privileged babyface when you're not anymore, maybe everything feels like that, but this is a night between Survivor Series, Bobby Heenan's going to just talk emphatically about The Undertaker being able to beat Hulk Hogan. Undertaker's just going to kind of have his way with him, and the fans... There are going to be some confused fans because I feel like a lot of there's some diehard Hulkamania fans. And then there are some that when they see him get pinned or he doesn't get up or he needs a stretcher, like he broke his deal with them. And it's like some of them are just like <laughs> by the end of the match, they don't start off hugging. It's a good ovation. But, man, you know, when they start watching Undertaker have his way with him and then finish him like there's a lot. Like if, if I was Hulk Hogan, I don't think I would be diagnosed paranoid if I thought maybe this was going on. I won't say it's impossible, but I'm going to throw back some things at you, and you can tell me if they shake you at all on this. Hulk Hogan, 
will take a tombstone and he will leap up like nothing ever happened to him. Uh, Hulk Hogan will uh, win the title. He will beat The Undertaker in about six days. So he will win that title back, even with the controversy. Uh, Hulk Hogan will still be in the main event of WrestleMania, even without the title. And a year after that, Hulk Hogan will still come back and he will win the title when he ain't even supposed to be there and he doesn't even look like Hulk Hogan anymore. So I feel like with these facts together, uh, the world is still at Hulk Hogan's feet and any paranoia is imagined on his part. Now, I won't say it's impossible, but I'll just throw these facts out here. No, I think this is why I say it's hard for me to make a decision because mm. – I'm throwing 93 out for now because to me that's a separate time because we're okay. going to have this whole retirement thing, sit down with Vince McMahon thing. Mm-hmm. And so WrestleMania makes no sense to me. And I think maybe I think you should have more confidence in your claim. And your claim is partly my claim because my claim is not fully my claim. I'm just putting out, you know, different things I'm seeing. But, you know, Sid claims at least that he was supposed to be the next Hulk Hogan. You know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. You know, and he certainly doesn't get to be. So the WrestleMania thing puts me more on your side. But I don't think that I think that Vince McMahon was just trying to like, oh, let's destroy Hulkamania. But I think he was trying to level it out. Like, this might not be the thing that I can ride forever. Mm. And so I got to bring it down a little bit to bring other things up. Because I don't know. Like, if I'm Vince McMahon at this time. Both of their hearts have to be broken because they stayed up all night in a hotel on some kind of bender uh, writing some Hollywood script for Hulk Hogan at one point. Because, you know, not only Hulk Hogan, but WWF was going to take over Hollywood. Mm. You know, maybe it was going to elevate WWF or maybe they were just going to throw that little side project away and take over Hollywood. And it never happened. And Hulk Hogan's in a place where he's he admits he's not been consistent through the business for a long time. And it's clear he's never going to be the kind of Hollywood star that's going to lift the whole WWF like someone like The Rock will actually do. Um, So if he ever goes away, it's going to be he's going to get enough just to be able to help himself. So I just I would just like to know and maybe we'll never know. But like, what is the mindset from pay-per-view to pay-per-view in this era? Is it that we're riding Hulk Hogan for another 10 years? Is it that we're riding him for as long as until the wheels fall off? Is it that we have to try to move on? We tried to move on with the Ultimate Warrior. That that was the goal. It didn't work. I would just like to know what the mindset was uh, between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon from, I would almost say, day to day, week to week, and month to month in this era. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's very strange and doubly so because you tell me these stories and I I <laughs> – I often find myself identifying with Sid in ways that I don't expect. So just to hear that story, he seems like a weirdly honest guy. Yeah. Um, so I kind of believe at least his perception of things, you know, is true to what he perceived. So uh, certainly I believe Hulk Hogan acted out in a way that was pathetic. Um, and just I don't know where that leads, though. Like there are so many pathways and it's, you can't guess people's motivations. And I don't know. It's a very strange time backstage i think in the wwf things are not the way that they expected them to be and they don't really know how to deal with that yeah and i think maybe that's more of the truth is just this uncertainty mm-hmm. and we think of Vince mcmahon at wwf that's the always certain company and wcw is the never certain company and pro- maybe possibly some of the reason we enjoyed this era much like 97 is because the certainty has come out from beneath their feet 
Mm. Yeah, I I think it would have had to at this point. Like uh, things are kind of changing over. You would have to think WrestleMania Seven shook them a little bit, which is maybe mm. why we're seeing like kind of weird and interesting things happening. But also, yeah, it's got to have caused some chaos to go out here. Like they they had just kind of been moving up and up and up before then, and that that was the first real setback they had in a long time, I think. Yeah, because they went from we're going to replace Hulk Hogan with the Ultimate Warrior, and we're going to do as good as or or better, mm-hmm. and that turned out to be a lie. And then you know the next thought had to be, well, then you just put the belt back on Hulk Hogan, and then Hulk Hogan is not going to carry the belt as long as Ultimate Warrior did. Right, yeah, and Hulk Hogan is not going to save your big stadium that you were bragging about for a solid year, you know, like, you put it on him, and now he's not doing as well as he was before either, so, you know, there there has to be a little bit of panic there about, uh, well, oh, wow, what are we going to do, is it just going to go down until we're out of business now, and, you know, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen, so uh, I can see maybe there's an aspect of fear there. Yeah, don't tell me, Vincent Mann is this whole macho... um results oriented and you put on blast that you're going to fill that arena somebody's losing face and it's got to be vince mcmahon or like it's got to be a time where either vince mcmahon or hulk hogan has to lose face and i think this is what causes the the dark side of that relationship is because it's different to fight over who is most responsible for one of the best booms in wrestling history but then who is responsible for the the down the downturn is a much uglier conversation. And I don't know if it happened as much in words as almost like the two men, you know, kind of sabotaging, using each other when they need to and sabotaging each other when they can. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. Such a wild relationship unfolding here. Um, we get, this is a night where we get a bunch of girl monsoon, uh, threatening to take, uh, Bobby Heenan out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think it's this match. It's a later one, but uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Bobby Heenan. Oh, my monitor just keeps kicking in and out. Girl Monsoon. I'm going to start kicking you in and out in a minute. Yes, I love it. I want a montage of all the times he threatened to carry him out and then the, the raw moment where he actually does it. Oh, a beautiful payoff. Absolutely. I'll say talking about relationships, you also have Bobby Heenan having a relationship with his phone at the commentary mm-hmm. desk here. And if you have watched primetime wrestling in its heyday, you know that Bobby Heenan and his phone are uh, very close associates. So that's so that's a very good little piece there. Yeah, and it's every little thing that he does. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I wanted to know what he was doing. Uh, so good stuff in the booth. Gene Oakland is going to be on the platform for a lot of the interviews here. Um, We're going to begin with the newly reinstated macho man Randy Savage coming out to talk to Gene Oakland. Indeed. Savage will say it is a living hell to be bitten and poisoned by that snake. The only thing he was really aware of was Liz crying, which hurt him worse than Jake's actual attack. He says Jake is the real snake. He says the madness will be all over him like melting butter. I love that quote. <laughs> it's a good one. Savage has got his uh, big hat on, too. Kind of. Um, that was the tie really, bandana, Oakland, to be honest. But yeah, it's good stuff. Gene Oakland says he's 97%. Fans voted 97% that he'd be reinstated. And I do think I saw a look in his eyes 
of paranoia and anger of that 3% that tried to sabotage him. Yeah, Lord, who is that 3%? That's frightening. So <laughs> So Savage says that uh, if you got questions for Elizabeth, why not ask Elizabeth herself? He brings out Elizabeth, who does her typical thing. Uh, she'll be in Texas, and um, and then she bites uh, Randy Savage's uh, uh, finish line. So <laughs> I'll just say this. Um, Liz is not matching her gear to Savage like Sherry would do, and I will just say Sherry would not have been crying. She would have punted Lucifer into the skybox. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe you married the wrong lady there, Savage. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Just a thought here on the show. <laughs> you know, we just, we just give you some thoughts. You can take them or leave them. Try them on. If they don't fit, leave them, and we'll hang them back up. But maybe you might find some of them fit. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. We are moving on to our next matchup. Oh, boy. I, <laughs> we, we spent almost the first hour talking about this first match because it was good and it deserved it. And there were some other stuff in there as well. Man, if we talk for five minutes about this match, I think it'll be too much. Yeah, it is Sergeant Slaughter, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We now have Tito as El Matador and Texas Tornado as a team. They're taking on Colonel Mustafa, the Berserker, who is in the Legacy Series now, Skinner, who's in the Legacy Series now, and Hercules, who is not long for the Legacy Series. Indeed. And I will just say, look at this match and despair, for one thing, because you should. But also, look at this match, and man, only one person in this match has the name of a human being. And that is just, that's the era that we're in. Only Jim Duggan, and he is the least human of all of them. Mm. So we are in an era where nobody gets a name. You just get a gimmick. You get a not even a character. It's just a gimmick. So just be your gimmick, and that that's all you get. Yeah, that's the, that's the shady underside is while the world title is starting to pick up again, the IC title is on fire. We are starting to build this undercard and this whole new a way of doing things where we have stripped away the personality and identity of our wrestlers, and we will pay for that in time. Mm-hmm. There might as well have been a garbage man and a plumber out there for all mm. we got. So I hate to tell you something, Ms. Finn. I'll, I'll just wait for you to find it out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we will wait. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you singled out the Berserker. I got a soft spot for this weird, lanky, barbarian-type guy. He's got some fun stuff that he will do, but man... Skinner, man, this is one of my least favorite characters, and he, I think he's gonna wrestle Bret Hart at Tuesday in Texas, which is another slap against that show, perhaps, but, um, Skinner, man, <sighs> alright, we've got Skinner now. Yeah, and we got a weirdly honest Gorilla Monsoon early on, because he says two things, number one, he says, you still talk about Hercules with fondness, don't you, brain, stole so much money from that guy. <laughs> We've come full circle to where uh, Hercules is no longer brave for rejecting Bobby Heenan. Now they're just like kind of quietly buddies again. So and he says there's not a lot of thought about who's going to come out on top in this one. <laughs> well, that that was the weird, honest part that you were talking about. So, yeah. Jesus. Um, I don't want to call it a controversy, but how are we? How do we have El Matador and? Uh, we missed those vignettes in our bonus uh, material, Miss Ben. I think you know why. <laughs> because I hate them. <laughs> I want to know how he changed his body type to go with the new gimmick. He, do- he does look weird, doesn't he? I feel like it's just the gear, but yeah, no, he looks like slimmer, maybe, or yes. taller even. I don't know. I don't, it does I don't think strange. he's as strong. He, he looks like narrow. 
Yeah. And it's got kind of a different style, so it's a different. This is the El Matador. I have a little bit of a soft spot, not because I'm saying it's a good gimmick, obviously, but this is when I met El Matador. And if you want to know the talent of Tito, I met him as El Matador, and I was still a big fan of his work. So. I mean, he's still Tito, and he still will do some great work, but man, it's a downgrade in every way. He loses his name. They do this in Yets, where he becomes like just a bullfighter. And if you want to see him, I'm sure they're out there. And. I guess uh, maybe he thought it would lead him to a big push. Maybe they kind of led him to believe that. Yes. It doesn't lead to anything. Uh, he looks different. He looks weird. They replaced his amazing flying forearm with this bizarre move where he, like, taps the guy on the back yeah. of the neck, and it's supposed to be, like, some bullfighting move. It's just a downgrade in every way. He's still, I think that's the, He's biggest... still the best guy in this match, but, man, it's just a downgrade. The biggest shame is the changing of that finish because mm-hmm. he had one of the best finishes in the business. And now that's not even pretending that he's doing something to the person. Yeah, no, absolutely not. It's just it's a sad downgrade in every way. And it makes me sad. And he's still Tito. He's still great. But, man, it's just there was no reason for this. Right in his presence in the ring, too. They have the nerve on commentary to call The Undertaker undefeated. Right, yeah, we know that that's not true. We <laughs> saw that Barcelona footage. I can't believe that. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something here. If you wanted to know just how weak the Sergeant Slaughter challenged to Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, um, barely a challenge. He gets, like, managers to make it more intense. He'll he'll take care of Colonel Mustafa in about, in about a minute uh, tops, I think. <laughs> So, yep, which I guess proves how American he is, because there's yeah. nothing more American than beating up your former friends That's to true. prove your patriotism. So, yeah, he's friends with Hacksaw. Now, I would love to just like ask them on a live mic. Like, also, what's three things that you guys have in common? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask him what's three plus three. It would have been stunned <laughs> by that as well. <laughs> this is the day that we have been dreading, uh, but also you always knew it was going to happen. Does Slaughter just come back after he gets his country back, or does Jim Duggan help him, or is he just randomly with Jim Duggan? I think there's some segment where Jim Duggan, like, kind of accepts him and maybe helps him. Um, I don't know. There's a lot more vignettes than the ones we watch where he's, like, going to Arlington and, like, going with Boy Scouts and all of this stuff and just, like, pathetically pandering to be American again. And then, yes, eventually Jim Duggan, of all people, will kind of, like, accept him, so... I guess if Jim Duggan likes you, you must really be American, and I don't like you, so. <laughs> uh, so I want to shout out Texas Tornado because he was in WWF longer than I thought, mm-hmm. um, so I just want to give him more credibility in this run than I gave him, and I find myself, the more I watch him, I'm just waiting for him to spin around and punch somebody. There's some, you know, he's not all bad, I think. Uh, I liked his match with Flair. That we watched uh, also from Barcelona. I thought he did an okay job in this match. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot to recommend about this match, but yeah, he did a fine job. I I like Kerry even uh, kind of in his later days. He's got something for him. I wanted to see the narcissist knock him out though. I don't know why. I just, <laughs> yeah. We're not gonna I, get I that. I don't think he'll last quite that long, but who knows? I'll look out for it for you. Okay, so this matchup was. Um, was it 4-0 at the end? Yeah, it's a clean sweep for the faces. It's very boring. It's not a good match. It's a very, very bad match, actually. So this is a huge uh, spit in the face of that first match and of Survivor Series in general. You could do better than this. Yes, and I would I would 
ask people not to watch this, even though I'm going to mention it, at one hour, one minute, and 24 seconds, don't watch Hacksaw's Victory Dance. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a weird thing he's doing over in the corner. but a uh, fair warning for all of our yeah. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, man. And I guess El Matador did get a push because I think before this he would have been the one eliminated from the team. <laughs> oh, that's sad but true. Oh, my God. Okay, we're back on that platform. Uh, Gene Okerlund, he is now with the opponent at Tuesday for te- Tuesday in Texas with Randy Savage. It is Jake, the Snake Roberts, minus the Snake, mm-hmm. who has been banned, by the way. Jack Tunney also threw that in. He's taking Jake Roberts at face value, but the Snake is gone from here on out. Indeed, and I got to praise Jake Roberts a lot in this segment, but let me just first say he's wearing this crazy sweater, which is great, and it looks like it's... <laughs> Like, it doesn't exactly have a snake pattern, and yet it's got, like, some real strong snake vibe. So I got to praise uh, the costume in the first place here because it's been real easy just to come out in your wrestling gear, but it comes out in this crazy sweater that I just I have to take a moment to praise it. Yeah, it's also interesting to be the level heel he's being in a sweater like that. <laughs> right, it's just very unexpected, and yet somehow it works. Um so Jake will say, oh, well, I was told the Cobra was de-venom, but he's really not very concerned about that. Uh, he says people try to make him out to be the sinner, but he talked to God this morning, mm. and turns out God doesn't like you, Gene Okerlund, which is just one of my favorite lines, maybe in all of wrestling. It's just great. you got to watch it. The delivery is spectacular. Yeah, and it's all that's how easy it is for the baby faces to do it too, so <laughs> Yep. He knows that's, that's what almost every baby face is saying all the time. Hulk Hogan most of all, with his cross on his chest, he will just walk in and basically like with the sanction of God, he will say, Well, the universe hates you, so I can do anything I want to you. So man, that it's a damn insightful line, I think. Yeah. And he follows it up by saying Stop pointing fingers at me. Let's point fingers at the fans who voted for Randy Savage to come back. Mm-hmm. Let's point fingers at Jack Tunney. And according to the snake being banned, he says it's hard to believe after six years people haven't called on. I've always been the snake you should worry about. Oh, that's a great line, too. This is a great promo. And I got to say props to Gene Okerlund for being brave enough to stand out there again because we saw what happened last time he was on that platform with Jake. Yeah, he got what was coming to him last time. <laughs> he did. He really did. This man as well was a faithful babyface, and he was of the order of the babyfaces. And he was one who had the power to be able to sentence people like he just tried to do to Gene Erkerlin. So right, he's lived that life. And he, I think he might be the only one who has ever carried a memory from being a babyface to a heel. So I think he is just like parroting their tactics back to them. Just to let them know, like, I still know what's going on here. I didn't lose my memory on the other side of this. Mm. It's a brilliant run, man. I think about sometimes that line about God doesn't like you. Mm. <laughs> There's just something about it, man. It, uh, it, it it resonates with me. It vibes around in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the big question is, how do we go from Jake's peak level heel status here and Undertaker next up is going to defeat Hulk Hogan to them wrestling each other and Jake and WCW. Yeah, it's a curious question. Both uh, on screen and backstage, there's some big changes that will happen, and uh, some of them definitely won't be for the better. I don't know. We will definitely be covering uh, the Jake 
and Undertaker, the feud and the origins of that. And uh, I don't know. It may come off unsatisfying. I don't remember exactly. It may be better than we expect. But certainly there is no sign of it at this time. You've got to be thinking at this point. They're still thinking Hogan, Flair, Jake Savage, you know, uh, Undertaker, whoever, at WrestleMania. So I don't know. Certainly some big things are going to be changing before we get there. I need some, an honest person to sit me down and let me know how we did not end up. And like we said a million times, I'm not even saying that's what I want to see, but like, what in the world happened? I guess it was maybe heel Undertaker versus Babyface Sid, you know. Yeah, very likely. Yeah. So we're going to get Babyface Undertaker, heel Sid, no Hogan Flair, Hogan Sid, Savage, no Savage Jake, Savage Flair, Jake Undertaker. Like, I don't even know, knowing what's next, how we fully get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of the biggest uh, upheavals, I think, on a road to WrestleMania that we can imagine, that we can remember. And, yeah, I, nothing about it makes sense. I don't know. Clearly, I don't, I just don't believe any of the stuff about, uh, you know, oh, it didn't draw well enough, blah, blah, mm. blah, that never stopped him before. It didn't draw better because of the change. This is clearly uh, a combination of, like, some weird politics and just people throwing fits, I think. Yeah. Like, Hulk Hogan at the, the head of it. But, man, just, like, yeah, I don't know. Some Somebody threw a, a big fit in here and just uh, changed everything around. And it's weird, but it's what happened. So. And when did it happen? Because even before Royal Rumble, we've made the decision that uh, we're going to have that Sid-Hogan interaction. And we're going to book Sid to cleanly eliminate Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan get mad and pull him over the top rope. That is our way of turning Sid Hill. (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. Certainly between Survivor Series and Royal Rumble, I think that must have been where the plan was changed, somewhere in there. That matches up with the timeline of the Flair Hogan house show matches that kind of supposedly made them make the decision that I don't believe that, but at least they had the scapegoat at that point to kind of like throw everything into disarray. So somewhere between this and the Royal Rumble, uh, things will be switched up like never before in the WWF. If anybody knows or can tell me where to go to listen, I want to know when Hulk Hogan decided he was leaving and when WWF found out, because Mm. I remember from childhood that weird, somber Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan sit down. Um, But how early is that? When does Hogan decide I'm leaving? Because, you know, again, we're not with Hulk, like we're not committed to Hulk Hogan enough that we're going to have him go over Flair for the belt, mm. but we're committed enough that he's going to main event the show. We're not committed enough that he's going to continue on because he's retiring, but we're going to take the guy that we brought in, obviously, to kind of be the Hogan light Sid, and we're going to turn him heel and not have him be that. Like So every single like scenario – I think of is also contradicted by another one. And I, I can't even get to like the second step in my thinking on any of this. Mm. It's so strange. And it's stranger even more when you really think about, this is what often gets lost at the end of Hogan versus Sid and correct me if I'm wrong, but the ending of that match is about like Papa Shango and the mm-hmm. ultimate warrior. And yeah, what? Like just, yeah. just imagine that for a moment. Like, things are a mess. They're chaotic at that point. 
And yeah, I think, I don't know when that sit down interviews you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure they say Hulk Hogan has already said after WrestleMania eight, like yeah. he's stepping away for a while. Like they're not, they're not coy about it. Um, so yeah, like chaos in the backstage of the WWF at this time. Yeah. Can you imagine being Vince McMahon and like Sid tells you at the Royal Rumble, I'm out of this company and you know, Sid tried to shake his hand according to Sid. He wouldn't shake his hand and say, you know, I need you through WrestleMania. But Sid wants out. Hulk Hogan wants out. We have Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in the same company. And Sid wants out. Hulk Hogan wants out. Jake Roberts wants out. You know. Yeah, I, Roddy it, Piper it, wants out. A lot of people. Roddy Piper out. wants out. And yeah. and 92, we're going to main event British Bulldog and Bret Hart. So <laughs> it, it's so strange, like, putting all this stuff together, throwing it in the same pot. It feels like the pot is just going to explode all the ingredients out and it's going to run all over the, the stove top and the floor. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It's really wild because, yeah, Ultimate Warrior will come back, but he'll be gone in like six months again. Uh, Ric Flair will be gone less than a year after WrestleMania because in the midst of all of this, I guess Vince McMahon will go to Flair and be like, well, we're not really going to use you yeah. anymore like as a, a major player. So, of course, he wants out. Uh, o- almost everyone who's a big star, will either, uh, almost all of them will be, like, alienated and leave. Like, none of them leave just because they wanted to leave. They leave because people are acting inappropriately. People are behaving badly, and they will want to get off the ship. So, God, what a backstage atmosphere it must have been around this time. Yeah. I mean, you think about Sid coming in at SummerSlam and Ultimate Warrior leaving, and Ultimate Warrior coming in at WrestleMania and Sid leaving. Like, that's a a half year or so, and you got a complete flip in that time of those two. Yeah, absolutely. When does the whole steroid thing scandal begin? I've been waiting for that because I saw in my bonus material searching, I saw a Vince McMahon like vignette where he was basically just like, our WWF superstores never use steroids and nobody (laughs) should use steroids. So clearly it's on the radar somewhere. I think it has not blown up yet, but it must be on the verge of doing so. You can like Vince or not like Vince, but man, withstanding this this coming storm, these coming storms, like <laughs> I don't know how you get through this stuff because I don't think I can handle like a percentage of all that's coming right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, like I don't know how much I credit Vince McMahon. I mean, to some extent, I guess, but man, a lot of it I think is just momentum. Like he couldn't have been more fortunate that he had such a wave of momentum built up, you know, in 87, Mm. in those years we're talking about, that he was able to ride it so, so long through flagging product to finally kind of get back on top of the world. So he should be thankful that those years went so well, because I think they saved his butt in later years. Yeah, we're talking about nothing but chaos. Mm. And at the same time, we're talking about one of my favorite eras of all time. So we're both (laughs) in some of the richest storytelling and the entire floor is about to fall out and nothing is going to remain um, that once was. Absolutely so. And, man, we'll get one of my favorite WrestleMania title matches ever, Flair and Savage, also out of it. So, like, yeah, clearly a lot of good things were popping out of this too. But, yeah, no, this is mass chaos. Yeah. So in the face of all of that, no promo for anybody, middle of the card, we just find ourselves. Mm. In Hulk Hogan defending the heavyweight title against this guy, The Undertaker. Yeah, very strange. Very strange in many ways. I was thinking, too, just 
Undertaker, we know he's going to win the title here, obviously, but man, you would think, even with how much we've enjoyed Undertaker, just looking at the history of Hulk Hogan, you'd think, Hulk Hogan, he's going to beat this guy, Undertaker will just kind of like fade away, won't be important anymore, who knows if he'll even be in wrestling, you know, in a couple years, Uh, he'll just get squashed like every Hogan monster, so, like, a lot of things will not go the way that history dictates here, and it's for the better, I think, but man, it is definitely something very different than what I think fans must have been expecting at this time. I would have put confidently put money on Hulk Hogan beating Undertaker here. Yeah, right? Like, absolutely. You'd think there's no chance if you had just known the history of Hogan up to this point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's astounding. Again, the man who stands in the gap. And we just told you how wide that gap's going to get before the, the the land is put back together. I would not want to stand in that gap, but the the man who minds the gap is the Undertaker. Yeah, absolutely. We talked at the start of the show about how he will uh, overview so many transitions in this company, and he will be a constant throughout every one of them. So it's uh, it's some interesting stuff that he will be a part of as we go forward. It's amazing to me he's going to be a babyface when once again, I don't know how many pay-per-views I've marked this, he comes out and there's at least, like, say, three to five children who are covering their eyes, turning away, like afraid of The Undertaker. <laughs> no doubt, yeah. He's one of those types where uh, his gimmick just screams heel, we all know that, but he will rarely play that role as we go forward in the series. So take that for what it's worth. You know, I guess it's a testament to the popularity, but still, it's uh, it's something quite striking. Yeah, I don't know how much of it is me and how much of it is the building, but this matchup had that feel. Like, it had that old-school 80s feel to me. Like, I really was sitting there waiting, like, what is going to happen here? And I think that's a credit uh, to how they booked The Undertaker up till now because there's the obvious Hulk Hogan could go over. But you look at The Undertaker and just think, is that going to happen, though? Yeah, absolutely. And remember, please, of course, this is only exactly one year in the Undertaker's WWF career. A guy who was really not much of anything before that come in with this new gimmick, kind of a weird gimmick, and yet uh, been very successful now in this title match in a very unique situation. So, yeah, it's it, again, it's just kind of uh, it's a little bit crazy to look at it from uh, that perspective. I came into this series expecting to critique Undertaker going over Dusty Rhodes like that at Survivor Series 90, and I am leaving 91. I don't think there's been a better, a bigger, better upshot to me than, like, Undertaker has blown my mind uh, with what he's done in this first year. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's something very compelling about it, and I think it is worthy of praise. It's worthy of notice because uh, there's a lot going on here that you could easily gloss over, and yet Undertaker, yeah, he has had a really strong run in his first year, one of the strongest, maybe first-year runs that I can think of. Yeah, and then the the juxtaposition between kind of that pale Undertaker and that tanning bed Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and then that cold, dead music, and then that Hulk, real American music, it really is like they are coming from two different worlds, and can they even stand in the same ring together? Are they from the enough of the same place to gather together for the match? Mm. The bright yellow and the red against the yep. black and the purple. 
that uh, big blonde mullet against uh, that black and slightly reddish Undertaker hair. Like, just aesthetically, it's a very pleasing matchup. It is. And um, it's going to start off, my first eye roll will be when Hulk Hogan uh, can't slam the Undertaker. He's trying to reduce the Undertaker to another earthquake, and so he has to not be able to slam the the guy who probably weighs no more than he does. <laughs> I will say, at least, it didn't seem to me like they were doing a weight thing. It was like Undertaker was able to counter it or something. Yes. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of credit there. And for those who are afraid that he can't slam him, he will overcome that by the end of the match and will be able to. <laughs> He'll overcome a lot of things before the end of this match that maybe he shouldn't have. But uh, certainly the theme of this match, and I think uh, a lot of Undertaker matches at this time, the theme is choking. Undertaker yeah. will choke 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 until the cows come home he will be trying to squeeze the life out of hulk hogan's throat for much of this match yeah it's still a slow pace that he's kind of a dead man in some kind of literal sense uh the first place where it kind of pops up and they have a nice spot where hogan's just doing these running shoulder blocks and then he runs off a side rope shoulder blocks Undertaker falls into the rope and then jumps a mile high and does a clothesline mm, and that's, that's like, like the first where you get people just cheering The Undertaker, I think, uh, in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, did you notice people cheering The Undertaker in this match? After that clothesline, I did. I think, yeah, you could hear some support for The Undertaker, which surely is one of the reasons they thought, well, scared kids or not, I think we got to turn this guy babyface at some point, and uh, yeah. maybe sooner than they expected, but I think the writing was on the wall already. Yeah, I just don't know what you... I think it's just the sheer level of respect because Hogan got a good ovation and Undertaker not cheering him every time that he's like just choking for an hour, you know. Mm -hmm. But man, that go watch that clothesline. It's unbelievably beautiful and it's just unreal. And again, I've said it before. This is why Hulk Hogan doesn't transition well into a you can be one of six top stars because they set up an era where if people can get the best of him then I should just be cheering that person because we have made it clear he's never really cared about the Hulkamaniacs. And I don't know if they could, how much they care about him. It's like they made this bond of I can be the most important thing and I can lift you up. But we also, if we fail, we're going to destroy each other. You know, there's like this convenient bond between them. Of course, there's like Hulkamaniac fans, but I'm saying in this general context, mm. it's almost built on this thing that we get to be above everyone else and we get to be invincible and then when he can be hurt, I think they're easily lured to the guy who is supposedly better now than Hulk Hogan. Mm, yeah, I think there's something to that. I think there's also just something like the Undertaker's cool. Just like look at yeah. him like, you know, the, the, the man in black, all this stuff, uh, you know, as, as the 90s roll on, we're going to get like the crow, you know, the original one, not Sting, but, you know, just like a dark character who is uh, also a hero or even an anti-hero, maybe, if you prefer. But we're going to get more guys in that vein in popular culture, I think. And Undertaker fits really well in with them, kind of these dark heroes. So it's not surprising to me. You know, he is cool. Uh, he's intimidating. He doesn't play the fool. He never, uh, you know, shows ass because he's not supposed to. That's not who he is. Uh, he's just cool. So why wouldn't you cheer him at some point? Yeah. And also, if you're the fans, and this is an era where you have a role, when you cheer, you can make people come back. 
And now there's the undertaker who has Paul Bearer who has an urn, and the urn is doing your job and doing it better than you. So you had better co-op that and get rid of that urn and become the reason that he can come back. Or we might find out there's no role for you fans. Mm, absolutely so. And I really do think there's a cultural aspect to this because, like, I think if he'd come around 10 years earlier, I don't think people would have started cheering him, yes. you know, to be honest. So this is this is a culture shift, I think, part of what we're seeing here. It is because we, 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 we're so um, singular. Oh, it was a steroid era, and now they wanted smaller, better wrestlers. There's definitely some truth in that, but they, they wanted something different. Mm. You know, So it might be a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels wrestling like that, but it might be an Undertaker wearing all black and still being kind of the big guy doing this thing, but like from a whole different feel and a whole different vibe and a whole different lore. Like They just want something different. And I think maybe the problem with the Ultimate Warrior is he's not anything enough to be anything different. Mm. So like he he didn't he didn't fulfill that. But my God, they want something different. I think, and it's such a weird thing to think going from Hulk Hogan in the red and yellow to um, Undertaker. Mm. But this is the same Hulk Hogan who's going to be booed in WCW in the red and yellow and cheered into black. So again, like you said, it's a decade and a culture thing in part. I think so. Yeah. I think people want to cheer the dark characters a little bit more uh, and more and more as we go on. But um, also just say, yeah, we've talked so many times about, Oh, colorful characters. And we mean that figuratively, but we also mean it literally all this time. Like it has been bright colors, shocking neon, like, Ultimate Warrior was basically like a tube of neon, like running around the ring some of the time. Mm. And now you have this guy who does stand out because he's so different. It's all black. It's all dark. And it just stands out in a very interesting way. Yeah. And that just feels like such an 80s thing. I don't know when those cardio and aerobic videos started, but that was kind of the same thing. It was over the top, cheesy uh, kind of stuff. And the 90s, like, you know, there's going to be all kinds of stuff. Grunge is going to take off. Like hip hop's going to take off, but it's going to be more gangster rap. Like there is a an appeal, very independent, very like a rejection of mainstream is going to come about. And again, Undertaker just feels like he's on the front, like he's on the forefront of everything. And maybe it's happenstance, and maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's that one thing has to go right when everything else is going wrong. But I don't know when I'm going to stop complimenting The Undertaker, and I had zero of this plan going into the series. <laughs> I don't know. It could happen a lot, or uh, we could um, see some drawbacks in later years. I'm not familiar with everything Undertaker's going to do, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it's such a wild time because we're going to also get Hogan calling the slam and Ric Flair coming out at the same time. So you got two different pops. You got people popping for Hogan about to slam the Undertaker and people a different kind of pop for people seeing Ric Flair emerge. And to me, that moment symbolizes this era where two pops that are completely different happening at the same time. That's the kind of chaos that we're sitting in right now. Absolutely. And yeah, that's, um, (laughs) we will get to a time where, uh, they do just too much of this because you'll get to a time when crowds will start looking at the entrance ramp before anyone even appears mm-hmm. because they know it's about to happen. But yeah, at this time, like you would not usually see this in a pay-per-view title match. And here we have Ric Flair coming down and yeah, it's damn exciting. It feels different. It does. And he's on, he is marching down 
Like, you know, there are bad intentions. You tried to ignore it. Even the video package of Hogan and Undertaker started with Ric Flair coming onto the funeral parlor. Like, you know, it's there, but you also don't know it's there. And again, it's Hogan and Flair. Like, you can feel in the building that potential of them even crossing paths is like intense and electric. And once again, on Hulk Hogan, I don't blame him because you know Ric Flair's reputation, but Ric Flair doesn't start it. Ric Flair's out there trying to get the belt. Hulk Hogan leaves the ring, leaves The Undertaker, and punches Ric Flair, and then leaves him down as if the the job is done. (laughs) Yep, Hogan uh, instigates the physical interaction, and maybe you can't blame him because he's he's savvy. He knows what happens when people come down, but still, he starts the fight, and then, yeah, he leaves the fight before it's done, so... You know, something didn't go right in uh, Hogan's game plan here. Yeah, and Flair is so smooth. Like, this is not a convoluted thing. This is a quick distraction of the referee, a quick slide of the chair, a tombstone pile driver, and three seconds later, we have a new heavyweight champion. The Undertaker has defeated Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and this is shocking. This had a very strange feeling to me. I honestly couldn't tell. Like, obviously, it's a big deal, but does it feel like the way it should? It felt strange to me. It will feel strange, I think, to the live crowd, because they will be very muted for the rest of the night, I thought. Um, I don't know. It's so strange. I don't even know how to quite articulate how the feeling of this was. Yeah. I... I... I don't know. It takes the air out of the building. Yeah. People are shocked. I do think there's a level of disappointment that Hulk Hogan is laying there with a bunch of suits around him needing their help. And Undertaker and Flair are just off with the victory. And Bobby Heenan, like the air is out of the building. They're not even hearing the commentary where Bobby Heenan says, you want to live by uh, your rules, Hulk rules, right? Um, Here's what Hulk rules. Laying on your back, no belt, you are done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heenan is on cloud nine here. He can rips Hogan apart, says, go off, make another movie because you're done in wrestling. Yeah, go back to the movie lot, make another movie. And I just wrote, what's going on? Because like, it is a burial in, in, in ways that have nothing to do with Undertaker simply defeating Hulk Hogan. There's no casket out there. There's no body bag. But Hulk Hogan, and we know it's not going to last, like you said, Hulk Hogan's coming back in like two days or so, a week. But, my God, if I'm watching this either in the building or at home, I understand. Mm, I, I I don't know if they're just trying to do anything that they can, and they're hoping they can pop that big rematch. Um, But I'm sitting here thinking... I don't want to be a Hulk Hogan fan anymore because this is not, this doesn't come with being a Hulk Hogan fan. I, I'm not doing this. It's strange, right. too, though, because what have we been asking for from Hulk Hogan all this time? Oh, Hulk Hogan, just show some vulnerability. Looks very vulnerable here, and yet yeah. it doesn't quite come off in the right way. Like, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, it just feels very strange. I think it's partly because the world has passed him by. Like we asked him to be vulnerable back when he could recover from it. <laughs> I don't think he has recovery anymore because I, I don't think the fans know how much they don't especially want him anymore. Right. 
And they're going to keep opening that door further. And that's why I'm saying whether even if it's not Vince's plan or whatever, like they're exposing him at times Mm. where he can't take the exposure. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You have to wonder also if the fans were sitting and thinking, oh, am I going to have to write another letter to bring Hulk Hogan back to life? (laughs) You know, like at some point, how many letters can you write? How many, uh, how much Hulkamania suffering can you go through? I don't know. It definitely feels like Hulkamania is tired. Yeah. And they just wrote letters for Randy Savage. So right. it's weird because they tried to make these guys, especially Savage, they tried to make Savage so old. Like they're going to do these lame, pathetic, uh, nacho man, huckster <laughs> skits when they're mad at WCW. But they have done a better job of aging them in 1991 than, than they do in those skits later on. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. And yet Hulk Hogan will come back and be a champion again after that. So yeah. ridiculous. But um, I have to wonder a little bit, too, and maybe this is just my paranoia hat, but we talked about Hulk Hogan will go backstage and be like, oh, well, Undertaker dropped me on my head for yeah. real. He really hurt me. Like, how much of this was planned and how much of this is Hogan trying to play up that, oh, maybe I really am hurt, you know, even to the boys in the back? Is he trying to play this up? I don't know. Like, I wouldn't put it past him at this point in his career because, like, his behavior will be terrible, as we've talked about. So, I don't know. Maybe this wasn't even the plan exactly. Maybe Hogan really played this up to convince uh, not just the fans, but uh, maybe the promoters as well. Of oh well I'm really hurt by this so I don't know it's just very strange and it really does just suck the air out of the fans here. Yeah, yeah. I think that if you watch it, I've never seen someone so protected in a move in my life. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And yet I think Hulk Hogan was hurt. I think that's a factually correct statement. <laughs> Certainly his feelings were hurt. Uh, yeah, because. So. Uh, you can see him complaining in there, so I don't know if he's already starting it, but man, I think laying there with almost no response, that's so unhogan like in this era. So I think he was hurt. And this is this is the um prequel to the behavior with Sid. Like everything at Royal Rumble is bigger and worse, but this is the exact uh same script that we're getting at Survivor Series. Like have a matchup. It doesn't go your way, but then on top of that, the fans, the fan response doesn't go your way. Go into the back, you know, and it's so ironic because they're like, oh, Hulk Hogan's in the back screaming and looking for Jack Tunney. So just replace Jack Tunney with Vince McMahon and you get what was actually going on on that (laughs) night. And that's also what makes me think it's not planned this way, because after looking what happened to Hogan and then hearing later what he was supposedly doing, those things don't match up like I don't imagine this Hogan, the way he was selling, like charging after Jack Tunney, I think he would have to like get in a wheelchair and go to the hospital or something from the way yeah. he was acting after the match. So, geez. If you watch him in there, I didn't watch it that closely, but it looks like he's complaining about his neck. Um, and so, but just, just watch how the Undertaker, and the Undertaker makes it clear, like I, I'm a rookie with Hulk Hogan. Like you think, I, you think I'm not doing everything that I can to protect him. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, honestly. So, I don't know, just tell me at Royal Rumble, would be better or worse if when Sid threw Hogan out, if he just lay on the floor and acted like he had been killed? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough time because the tricks aren't working anymore. Yeah. You know, those tricks took him a long way, but 
you know, it's not helping him. Undertaker's bigger than him. Sid is bigger and just as tanned as him. They're all younger than him. Like, he's burnt goodwill forever. Hollywood's not calling like it's supposed to. Mm. You know, nothing is going the way that it that it's supposed to. And, you know, all he's ever done is just amp up the noise and get what he wants. But, like, he's going to amp it up and amp it up. But, like, eventually he's not going to get what he wants because there's not going to be anything left for him. And it's still going to take longer than it should. And we're still going to get the skeleton Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 9. But <laughs> I really believe that Undertaker... Undertaker put a dagger in this man, and he is, in my mind now, Undertaker does this to him and then sends him straight to Yokozuna, who drops the leg <laughs> on him and stretchers him out of the WWF. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love that. But also, the more I think about it, the more I feel like Hulk Hogan really did this to himself because yeah. we've seen Hogan go down before and even have to be, like, stretchered out. And, man... This was just different because it really looks like he is just whining in there. Mm. Like he leaves <laughs> this match and he looks like he is just whining to the officials. Like I remember when King Kong Bundy like avalanched him and he had to be stretchered out. And man, it may be cheesy, but when Hogan really wants to sell, like he'll lay on the mat and he'll convulse and he wasn't doing any of that. Like he was not doing normal Hulk Hogan selling behavior. Mm. He was just acting like, Oh, I'm hurt. I don't, I'm uh, my neck. Oh, he, he was mm. mean to me. Like, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I get of that vibe. And it just fell so flat with the fans that, man, it, a lot of this, I think, is really just on Hogan. Yeah, you're right. Uh, almost every time his big sell has been the oversell. And he is, he's not just laying very still, but he's lifting his head or like putting his hand behind his neck, having a conversation. And so maybe. Yeah, who knows with Hulk Hogan, you know, was that the plan all along? Did he get in there and realize this thing's not going, this thing's going sideways? Because that's the thing, though, that I'm trying to tell you, mm. that with Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan, like, Vince can keep going back to Hulk Hogan, but Hogan's going to sabotage everybody, because now the only way I can be on top is not to be the best, but to eliminate anyone who's better than me. And Vince can't have that forever, but I don't think he can just cut from Hogan, because he's not, he doesn't have confidence in everybody like that. So... I think they both want to move on from each other, but they also know that they can't easily or fully do it. And I just want insight into that awkward dance that they're having in these final years together. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I don't even know who would be out there to tell the truth about that, but Nobody. I'm sure there is some interesting stuff going on. Yeah, and I'm so, I'm so thankful because I can now see as an adult that there had to be some consideration that why don't we turn him heel, and that would have ruined everything. So I'm just glad they got him out the door so that he can go away, go to WCW and we can get 96, 97 uh, WCW without any interference by this era. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Whew, all right. So yeah, Undertaker is now WWF champion and we're, we're moving forward with that. So that man, that's interesting in and of itself. Yeah. The shout out to our prof because everywhere there's interesting Hulk Hogan, it seems like there's Roddy Piper, and we're going to go back to Roddy Piper for the very first thing. Who's going to proclaim it's a bad day in the WWF. Hogan's got red in his eyes and hair on his feet, I think he says. Uh, <laughs> he's screaming Tunny in the back. So <laughs> I don't think – I think Roddy Piper read the script of what was supposed to happen and didn't actually watch the segment because I don't know if he would have said that if he had seen what we just saw. Yeah, you're right. That is a curious thing because – 
he's so subdued on the way out. But you know, he and again though, the way Hogan Piper talks heavy. about it is more like what you would have expected though. You know, from like Hulk Hogan's usual shtick. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he was just in the back and heard him yelling at Vince McMahon and just went with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible for sure. Oh my gosh. Because he does make a scene. That, like, I think it's that night in the back when he gets back there that he starts the whole you know, Undertaker herd and stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all from the way he was acting. Seems like he was setting up for it. So, I don't know. Uh, we do hear from uh, Piper, uh, or no, from Perfect and Flair as well. They're talking yeah. to Sean Mooney. They are gloating big time. Flair tells Hogan, I told you face to face that you would be short-lived. He's laughing about all the crying children. They're wondering what's next because they all believed in Hogan. Now there's only one real world's champion, and he says it's him. Uh, and he asks if Hogan is immortal now, and uh, clearly he isn't. So um, mm. it's a very good promo, as expected. It is an excellent. It is a dancing on the grave promo. Um, <laughs> and they do it so well. Mr. Perry says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Hulkamania finally hit to bust. Um he says, Flair says, you may have said your prayers, taking your vitamins, gone to the end of the world with him. And that's such an important statement because we've talked about all the places Hulk Hogan is like, oh, the Hulkamaniacs are on my shoulders. Now they're like in the fault line and they're, you know, they're underneath the earth and, you know, they have gone everywhere. And it, it blew my mind because later we're going to have kind of a where is the Undertaker? Where is the heavyweight champion? always downstairs in the boiler room type thing. And <laughs> like, he's taking him like across the whole East coast, the Hulkamaniacs on his back. He's taking them under the earth, but he's never taken them simply under the building of the arena. So there's something about that. The undertaker comes from another place in the building. He comes from a place we haven't seen before. And Hulk Hogan has mastered everything that's come before. He knows all the tricks. He knows how to stop it, silence it, but people are younger and they're newer and they're coming from places that he hasn't imagined and his tricks aren't working. It has to be frustrating, but he is getting lapped and passed by, not by people who are cracking uh, the earth from New York down to Florida, but someone who is simply underneath the building uh, that you are in currently. Yeah, if this Hulk Hogan tried to follow Undertaker down there, I think he would take a wrong turn and just wind up in the Dungeon of Doom, so. <laughs> oh, man. I love this. Flair, uh, you, you say, it calls out the immortal thing. He says Hogan's on his way to the hospital, no more Hollywood. Then he calls out Jack Tunney for the censorship. They are censoring that big gold belt that's no longer a big gold belt. And he pretty much says, I told you, as long as you're censoring this belt, things are going to happen. And they just did. <laughs> That's great. I love it. And, yeah, Flair, Flair watched the end of this match, clearly, that Piper did not. Because what he says, I find more credible than what Piper was saying, based on yeah. how Hogan left. That is true. Hogan is both in the hospital and yelling at Jack Tunney at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one I believe, based on the way he was acting. So. But at the same time, we go to Gene Oakland, who is wi weirdly with Jack Tunney. Yes, yeah, Jack Tunney so active in this era. Um, Jack Tunney tells us, well, the referee's decision is final, but I am ordering a rematch at the first opportunity, which is this Tuesday in Texas. And uh, he promises that he will be at ringside, uh, maybe the only time he ever was. So he will ensure a fair decision is reached. And, well, we'll see when we come back. 
how well that worked out for him. It's just bad. Maybe it's just bad booking. But, like, you know, with Hogan getting eliminated, Fair and the Rumble pulling Sid out. And even here, like, Undertaker beat you, like, one way or the other. And it's like, how fast can the president run out, like, and cover for you? And then he's going to sit at ringside on your behalf. Like, maybe they're trying to do the right things, but these are not things that are necessarily going to be appealing, I don't think. Uh, oh, Jack Tunney's going to watch over him from ringside and is going to urgently put him in a title match. That is not... Uh, I don't I don't know if that pops the crowd or not. Right. I mean, uh, maybe maybe a, a little piece of evidence on Hulk Hogan's paranoid side, but certainly never in the past that Hulk Hogan need like the officials to come babysit his matches to make sure they were fair. So yeah. if you're talking about Undertaker being cool like this, this is going to make Undertaker look better than Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is the kind of stuff that gets Steve Austin over in a few years. It's like, you know, the baby faces are behaving like this. And he's like, you know, stunning uh, Vince McMahon and Gorilla Monsoon and Jim Ross. So we'll see. I don't understand what's happening, but Jack Tunney will watch over Hulk Hogan to keep him safe in the rematch. Indeed, yeah. I will say, at least, there was probably a point in time, I think, where I almost thought they booked Tuesday in Texas just for this match, so at least I'm grateful to find that that was not true. Like, this was a pre-existing event that they just, uh, I don't know what they were going to do for their world title match, like, if this didn't happen. Like, it seems like there was no plan in KFOB for that, but uh, but at least now we have uh, this title match coming up at the next pay-per-view. Yeah. So we got this whole shock, right? You know, we talked about the whole airs out of the arena and the natural disasters. IRS and Jimmy Hart are going to use that to, to say that the shock is actually shocks after earthquake uh, shaking the ground. <laughs> you know, I hope they were going to say that it was like an aftershock of earthquake, like beating up Hulk Hogan the year before. But they didn't even really talk about that. So it's just a waste of time. I have one day and I never want to do this because I don't want to do it to myself. But between Zeus the Zeus feud with Hulk Hogan mm. and the earthquake feud, like which one of those, these are the credibility killers. I think because one is like, this guy is just from Hollywood and we prefer Hollywood. And so we're going to do this thing. Mm. And then the other one is just so overly wrought mm. that I do think you could both write a letter and then feel guilty a year later being like, I don't believe that was authentic. And if that wasn't authentic, maybe Andre wasn't authentic and Undertaker wasn't like they spent so much credibility on these fake, uh, non-urgent, non-authentic things. Mm. And I think they burned away a lot of goodwill so that when you've got something that actually has a feel to it, what makes it any different than any of the, of that nonsense that we, that we sat through. Yeah. I'll always put more on Zeus than I think on anybody, and not not on Zeus the person, but on Zeus the booking. Um, but certainly, I think Earthquake did not end up doing many favors. So I don't know. Like when we were going up to that feud, people who watched at the time, a lot of them were kind of speaking fondly of that feud. So maybe it's just our own perspective. But yeah, I feel like it did not do him any favors in the end. I think they asked a lot of the fans in that feud, and the fans did not get a lot back in the end. <laughs> Yeah, Zeus is the obvious one, but man, I'll never forget Hogan just like tearing his own cross. You know, there's something symbolic about that. The earthquake angle is Hulk Hogan 
tearing his own cross. Yeah, it is. He's manufacturing something in a fairly blatant way. Yeah. So uh, finally on this page, we got Sean Mooney, who is with uh, Big Boss Man and LOD, and they're going to hurl some insults back at those guys hurling insults at them by gum. <laughs> is this where Sean Mooney tries to interrupt Hawk yes, and regrets it? it? <laughs> that was my favorite weird little bit. Yeah. Hawk gives him a stern rebuke. <laughs> In a way, he says, don't you ever. Oh, what a rush. So... <laughs> Yeah, and then you Sean has to go back to, like, I'm trying to do my job so I don't get fired. <laughs> and credit to Sean Mooney, who keeps, like, touching the earpiece while Hawk finishes, like, yeah. trying to catch all the... Nah, ah, Sean Mooney's great. We love him. Yeah. My favorite Bobby Heenan thing that's understated is simply, we now got this rematch in five minutes, which, again, to me, only makes Hogan look small and desperate. But Bobby Heenan says, did they ask The Undertaker? Ah, Yeah. Good question. No, very little respect for The Undertaker through all of this. Like, I'll say this. I love Ric Flair's promo, but if you listen to him cut that promo, you'd think that the world title had just been, like, vacated or destroyed. Like, it didn't exist anymore after that match. So, not a lot of uh, attention being put on Undertaker, despite being the world champion now. Yeah, and that's... Maybe that's on Paul Bearer, but when you get into bed with Ric Flair, uh, Ric Flair isn't... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ric Flair is not out for you. Undertaker's a rookie. And Undertaker's turning babyface, so in a way it all makes sense. Like the man still claims to be the real world's champion. Uh so I think I think it makes sense. I don't know if maybe they even know what the Undertaker should do with the world title. Like, you know, what does the Undertaker want with the world title? I don't know if they're fully like <laughs> Just clear to bury on that. It, I assume. Yeah. So I think shout out to them though, because WWF rarely, I think, books ahead of their overly raw ideas. So it feels like they got things going that they don't fully have a container on. And that might be bad to some people, but my goodness, I'll take that once in a while here. Hey, man, sometimes it really works to kind of just ride the tiger and, uh, you know, see where it takes you. So. And, man, what a what a joker, though, this Ric Flair that's going to – he's going to get the belt partly held up, and then he's going to win the Royal Rumble. So, <laughs> you know. You gotta watch this guy. Like he's he's both at this time, like somehow loudly calling out Hulk Hogan in the spotlight, and also hiding in the shadows at the same time. <laughs> Ric Flair's a master. I was gonna say this before. I'll say it now. God, what a world of difference with this main event threat versus all that time we spent with Sergeant Slaughter just suffering mm -hmm. for almost a year in that stupid storyline. Compare the cheesy kid stuff like you said nickelodeon stuff of slaughter and his minions against all we've seen from perfect flair heenan undertaker now too in the mix like what a world of difference between those two feuds yeah and notice how not paul bearer not undertaker not rick flair nobody is is selling you on how bad they are or what horrible things they're going to do because they're simply legitimate and they're simply doing it. And that is the difference. We had like six months of Sergeant Slaughter trying to convince us verbally that he's a really bad man that hates his country and he's going to do really bad things and all of this stuff. And you don't believe it. And nobody has to do that. Either you got it or you don't. Mm. And that it just exposes that angle for, again, the word you use with earthquake the manufactured thing that it was yeah. whereas now like if you're a Hulk Hogan you're praying like could the, could the Undertaker and Paul Bearer and Ric Flair just start talking about how bad they are and the bad things they're going to do so I can catch my breath 
because they're not doing that. They're just out there doing it because that's what they are and that's what they do. Indeed. It's just very nice to have top heels who don't look like they could be defeated by like green slime falling on their heads. So. <laughs> yes. And that they both will be defeated by it and enjoy it at the same time. <laughs> God. <laughs> I knew Sergeant Sergeant Slaughter and I'm not even knocking the guy, but I'm the Sergeant Slaughter in the gimmick. Like to me he was always crying, I want my country back even when he was leaving it. <laughs> I never not heard him say that. <laughs> he just wanted to be loved. He didn't know how. So. Yeah, he just wanted Hulk Hogan to put an arm around him. He, you know, let him stand on the side a little bit. <laughs> God. By God, just do that. And, you know, you see what happens when the butcher gets out from under his arm. We keep getting these pay-per-views that we don't need. So. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of things we don't need, I have a suspicion that uh, you're not too fond of this next match coming up that we have to talk about. I'm not. Um, it's got the Rockers and the Beverly Brothers in it, so obviously it's not going to be as bad as the other one. But I think I was about as fatigued as the fans. And maybe it's different. I usually watch this old, my shows over three days, so I watch an hour, an hour, an hour on pay-per-view. I watched all, all this whole thing in one sitting. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different experience for sure. <laughs> you're not so that used might to it be as well, you know. Yeah, well, I didn't think, you know, it's not a match that I strongly dislike. I think it has some solid moments. Uh, it's certainly not a big highlight for anybody here. Um, but, yes, it's the Rockers and the Bushwhackers against the Beverly Brothers and the Nasty Boys. Um, and uh, I'll say, yeah, like the stuff, it's certainly a match of like two halves because stuff with the Rockers, the Beverly Brothers, that's all good stuff. Nasty Boys, not so good. Bushwhackers, I mean, of course, terrible. But mm. fortunately, at least they get eliminated, like, almost immediately, so we can be grateful for that. Yeah, I got in my early notes. I bet the Bushwhackers could beat The Undertaker. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the way they're booked, you have to assume the Bushwhackers could beat anyone on Earth. Like, yeah. they could beat Hulk Hogan, so. It, it ain't nothing for them to do it, either. Yeah, I mean, they can just go out and accidentally be better than everyone they'll ever come up against, and they can never be negatively impacted. Nothing you do harms them in any way. You know, they are the ultimate in that kind of gimmick. Yeah. In the background, though, we have Bobby Heenan early on talking about, you know, Hulk Hogan's not champion. What a breath of fresh air. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. You also have uh, Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, the Beverly's and the Nasty Boys. Who do you think is the brains on that team? Bobby Heenan says, oh, the ones with the long tights. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Matsu says, they all have long tights. And Heenan says, oh, you're smarter than I thought you were. Yeah, usually that works. I think that <laughs> it threw them for a moment. Oh, that's great. I love it. Yes. Uh, this is also where we're going to start hardcore teasing a breakup with the Rockers. So it is an important matchup kind of in the history of things. It is, but I say let us not forget the uh, true instigator of all of this when Marty Jannetty ran out of the arena for no good reason and let Shawn Michaels get destroyed by Earthquake and Typhoon. So let's bear that in mind, please, as we move along here. Yes, and also as I compliment the beautiful hanging clothesline from The Undertaker, watch the Shawn Michaels clothesline off the apron. It's so beautiful, and then he hops up and gets sweet chin music on the floor to follow it up. Lovely stuff. Yeah, this is a great showing for the Rockers, who are really kind of, you know, at the end of their rope here. But uh, Shawn Michaels, he will eliminate 
Bo Beverly. And I'll talk about this more later, but I have a big soft spot for the Beverly Brothers. I think they're going to do some very fun stuff. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get more into their actual matches. But uh, uh, Shawn Michaels will, will take a lot of this match just for himself. Like, he will not want to tag out. He will do a lot of fighting. When he finally does tag out, Marty Jannetty will have a very fired-up hot tag. So there's yes. some good stuff in this match for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Michael and Jannetty. And it's a, it's a cool thing to see that at least in this moment they're going their separate ways, but no, but they're both kind of fired up, I think, to get yeah. a chance to show themselves. So it's not one person going up and one's going down. I never – maybe you know this, but – Surely it was not the plan for Marty Jannetty to go through the barbershop window and then just disappear for like a year. Like something must have happened there, right? Do you have any idea? Well, I think Marty's demons um, cost yeah. him more than, than the booking because even uh, when they trade the belt, they're going it's going for a WrestleMania nine payoff, and then Marty Jannetty gets himself in a mess and they can't and he can't work so. Um, yeah, I think they had bigger plans for Marty Jannetty than than history records. You know, I think Sean was always going to be the guy, but Marty was also getting a push. But Marty, you know, was not consistent. So I think it must have been because I swear he will get fired and brought back about four or five times yeah. over the next few years. So clearly some stuff going on. I was always a fan of Marty Jannetty, the wrestler. Uh, he will definitely be struggling with his demons and with a lot of other problems. So we'll keep an eye on that as we go yeah, along. I know for a fact that it was supposed to be a payoff at WrestleMania. And, and when when you cost WWF at WrestleMania a payoff and they have to go with that Shawn Michaels to Tonka match, it's probably hard to get back over that bridge. <laughs> and yet it's later that same year, uh, one of the most famous early Raws, Marjorie A will like show up out of the crowd and yeah. beat Michaels for that title, and they'll trade it back again. So, like, they'll keep trying with this guy, yeah. you know, to their credit. He'll be uh, in the new Rockers, I think, with uh, Leaf Cassidy at one yeah, point. Yeah, with Al Snow, sure enough. We'll see. Yeah. I have no – once we get past 93, there's, like, a huge mystery zone for me that I'm very excited to explore. Oh, man, I can't wait for that, for that curtain to be removed. <laughs> <laughs> for the good and the bad, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun, you yeah. know. <laughs> It, it is what it is, and we're not going in unaware, you know, so we know it's not uh, the most popular time in history, but like everything else, it's going to have its good and its bad, and sometimes you don't know which is which till you experience it again. Mm, for sure. One interesting thing in this match, and I don't know if this was a red herring or maybe if they were kind of playing with different ideas, but at one point, Gorilla Monsoon will be all over Marty Jannetty, for like he says he's not trying hard enough to make the tag to Shawn Michaels and like I I don't know I just didn't expect that I thought they would foreshadow Shawn as the bad guy more but really uh Monsoon who is the voice of baby faces is kind of like all up on Janetti's business here Yeah I wonder if they didn't know at the time because it looks like Janetti's got his arm just barely hanging over so it looks like a, a planned um event Yeah no it does seem that way either that or Monsoon was just calling it the way he saw it, which he did do sometimes, which I appreciate. But either way, it creates a little extra wrinkle, I guess, going into their breakup. Yeah. I also love after years of rolling my eyes at the tag team specialist when every tag team's a tag team specialist. That's why they're a tag team. Um, the problems start when Marty Jannetty picks up a nasty boy and swings his feet into Shawn Michaels, who gets eliminated. That's not very much a tag team specialist move. Indeed, their specialty is uh, breaking down before our very eyes here. Mm. And then, like you, 
we got Marty Jannetty, you know, so then that makes it, I don't know. That feels baby face to me, which is the opposite of what we were just saying. You know, so Marty's kind of that last guy in there, you know, getting the fight to the end. So I don't know if they knew what they were going for. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were playing with different ideas. Certainly a different world if Marty Jannetty is the guy who ends up turning heel. Uh, but I think it was better off the way it happened, as we know yeah. what will go from there. But um, That might be one of the most destructive moves in the history of pro wrestling. <laughs> it really could have been. So, uh, Jannetty does fight to the end. He does not pull a Jim Duggan. He actually fights uh, legitimately and is pinned in the end. Um but, yeah, Bobby Heaton uh, tells us that both of the Rockers are prima donna crybabies. So take that for what you will. Yeah. So that happens. And it's weird. Like, I don't know how in the building. It's just a weird night, you know, the way it's booked. And oh, the, the fans are not, like, they don't have anything against it. But, man, I think they're just still shocked from the title change. Yeah. You got to do it because you, this is the problem trying to hype a pay-per-view in a week. You know, you got to get busy. So... <laughs> I get it, but man, these matches keep coming and the fans are kind of done. So, you know, that's a tough one. But now we go straight back to another matchup, I believe. This is, and this again is supposed to be four on four, and they have taken Randy Savage and Jake Roberts out of it. So now we got it's still like top stars in the business, but man, it's the end of the night. You lost two stars. Hogan's lost the belt. Uh, you just had another matchup, and now it's the big boss man and the LOD taking on the IRS. And the natural disasters. Indeed, I believe actually Sid was originally on the babyface team. But, oh wow! Uh, yeah, he he took the injury and oh, was yeah. not there. So, um, but yeah, no Jake, no Sid. I'll leave it up to you if that's uh, better or worse. I'll say the crowd is dead for this one, but I kind of enjoy it. Um, I don't know if it's just my appreciation for uh, the Legion of Doom because they get to do a lot of fun stuff in the the end of this match but uh i kind of enjoyed this match I, I had some fun with it yeah if you're a big lod fan this is a good moment because they get to kind of shine they kind of got to get to do what hulk hogan's supposed to be doing at this moment in the show <laughs> it's really their first chance in our run that they've had to do that uh i mean i guess they crushed power and glory but that kind of made me sad so this this was more satisfying for me yeah it's also a beautiful um so when hogan wrestles the undertaker he roll, he rolls out of the ring early in the match, and Bobby Heenan is, is like, that's a coward. Only cowards roll out of the ring. <laughs> and then uh, in this matchup, Girl Monster is like, IRS uh, ran like a thief in the night. And Bobby Heenan says, that's strategy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Girl Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are a microcosm of the world today. It's not about uh, your morals. It's just about which side you're on. So. <laughs> yeah, a million percent. Because I, I guarantee you that. Uh, Real Monsoon didn't say, yeah, you know what? He is a coward. <laughs> nope. Yep. Just depends on uh, my dad always used to say it's all about whose ox is being gored, which uh, mm. is more and more <laughs> true every day that I live my life in the modern world. That is well said. And now we come up. I Was I the only one that felt a little sorry for IRS in this match? Oh, he really takes a beating towards the end. But you know what? He eliminated the big boss, man. First in this match, mm. so he deserved to be destroyed by the Legion of Doom, in my opinion. Oh. All right, Gorilla, tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a miscarriage of justice. There, that's what it was. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, oh dear, that was a good comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Woo. man, uh, it does make me a little sad because uh, 
Well, I was going to say Big Boss Man is sort of fading out, and I remembered he has to feud with Nails, who is another character created for him, so it's not really true. He'll have some uh, some stuff left, but um, yeah, Big Boss Man. I was surprised to see him go out kind of easily in this match. That made me sad. Yeah, he might be a symbol of where the steroid, because as I've mentioned, um, uh, I can't think of his name right now, something to wrestle. Uh, Bruce Pritchard says uh-huh. that... Uh, he left the company because he was afraid that the steroid scandal would make people think like, oh, he's a law enforcement. And he was like, he was like there while they were doing all of that. And he didn't want his gimmick to be tarnished. So as we see Bossman fade out, that might be our hint that the scandal is fading in. Oh, man, that's big. Bossman does not look like a steroid guy. Like, I'm sure he took them because I think just about everyone took them. But Clearly, he is not a super user like the two guys he's in the ring with. So, no, come on. <laughs> I think he thought that people would like stop supporting his gimmick because he was around while scandal was happening and didn't do anything about it. I don't like it when my favorites are revealed to possibly be kind of dumb like, yeah. in their life because that sounds pretty dumb to me. It is, but you know, it makes more sense than anything else because. He was on a super duper roll, and then like he's gonna go have an identity crisis for you for the rest of his life. Ugh, yeah, poor guy. That's crazy too, because he'll just go over to WCW at the end of '93 when the steroid stuff is still going on, and they never even stopped doing steroids over there. So like, why was he not afraid of that anymore? That's yeah. just strange. So it is strange. I will say also in this matchup, there's a military press, and I heard a. Um, shoot with Barry Horowitz where he said he's not a fan of Lex Luger, but best press slam in the business. <laughs> <laughs> very nice working that in. That was very uh, organic. Um, <laughs> but seriously, just another uh, symbol that just about every power guy can do a better military press than uh, ultimate warrior. So, yes. yeah. I also want to shout out Ted DiBiase though real quick, because one of my favorite moves in wrestling is where you send the guy off the rope and you do that big, slam that goes from front over the top to back luger's got an amazing one ron simmons has an amazing one and i keep forgetting ted dibiase does that move and he does it amazingly talk about like a scoop slam or uh yeah it's just it's it's just a slam but you know you send them off the rub you catch them running and you kind of go all the way over yeah it's the way ron simmons beat vader for the belt yeah, no, it's a very good move, and uh, I appreciate that shout-out as well. I can't, I didn't write it down. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one of those in these matches as well, because I yeah. know LOD, they can pull off a move like that beautifully. Yes, I think Animal might do that a lot. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll say this, for the crowd, they've been kind of dead this whole night, but they kind of came back alive some for Legion of Doom, and that's just a testament, I think, to how good the Legion of Doom was and how well they got the crowd going. Yeah, I think it's honestly a testament to LOD, but I do think it also hits on that thing where I do think in this era, it is hard for Hulk Hogan to be, you know, that thing because there are people that are in that building just to see somebody do this thing at the end of the night where they run over the hills and and they pay the price and they're invincible and and a lesson is learned and we go home happy. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, that certainly kind of happens here, so... The big LOD chant, though, I got that on my notes. So they're definitely into LOD. And LOD is just like this amazing presence in a tag division that doesn't even exist right now. So I don't even know what to make of that. Yeah, poor Legion of Doom. Like, there was such a good tag scene for a while, and they will kind of come in this one period where a lot of tag teams, like, are not even relevant anymore. So that's not even entirely true because you got Beverly Brothers, you got the Rockers. 
Um, you know, so there's at least two other teams. Soon you're going to have the Steiners. You're going to have the, uh, the, the head shrinkers or whatever the Fatu yes. team is called. So yes. they kind of just missed like some really good feuds. They just got stuck with the nasty boys and the natural disasters. Poor guys. Yeah. You want to talk about stupid endings to matches? <laughs> you thought this was stupid? I didn't, uh, I didn't mind it so much, but uh, well, tell, I'll tell let you have your fun with this. Is our last match. So do, do the positive side of it. <laughs> All right. Well, unless I'm forgetting something, as I recall, IRS uh, kind of gets typhoon out accidentally and then the earthquake just kind of bails on him. So uh, the end of this match is Legion of Doom just kind of tearing IRS apart. And uh, you know what? The fans are into it, and I enjoy watching uh, Road Warrior offense. So I didn't have a problem with the end of this, but maybe I forgot some aspect of it. So tell me no. your take as well. No, I thought the earthquake stuff was stupid. <laughs> I was wondering, like, what's going to happen? And then, you know, I just Are you really sad contrived. that he left, though? Like, I would never be sad if Earthquake left. No, I'm not. <laughs> and you know it leads to the feel good moment you know what's going to happen to irs and it happens to him the only thing i don't know is why they didn't pick him up on their shoulders for their finish they just did a clothesline off the top yeah i don't know but uh maybe they figured he'd been he'd suffered enough I don't yeah know. <laughs> and it ends with a happy crowd it ends with lod on top so they are the survivors of the 1991 Survivor Series. They are. They are. They did a great job with it. There's not a lot to say, unfortunately, about this run for the Road Warriors, but uh, they do a good job, I think, whenever they get the chance. And I'll just say, from watching the weekly shows, very few guys who are more fun to watch squash a jobber than the Road Warriors. (laughs) They do a wonderful job. Yeah, and it's convincing every time. Oh, yeah. It's murderous, man. It's it's painful. Um, One more note on... Maybe they're not trying to savage Taj Hulk Hogan. They're booking just stupid. But we are told we're going to go back and hear from Hulk Hogan. And Sean Mooney tells us Hulk Hogan won't come on camera. He says that he'll let his uh, talking, his fighting talk for him. Oh, man. Yeah. Whoever this was from, like we could theorize, but we don't know whether if whoever made that decision uh, was not doing Hulk Hogan any favors. That's for sure. So whether it was Hulk Hogan pouting and yeah. not wanting to do it or whether it was the company booking him not to do it. Somebody did him a disservice there. Yeah, maybe it's Hogan doing it to himself, but my God, on top of everything else, now you won't come out and talk. Like it, it, I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but I know what it feels like. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's like nothing I've seen from Hogan before, so either they were massively changing their booking strategy, or I don't know, is he too busy to do a promo because he's still back there whining to Vince McMahon <laughs> about how he got dropped on his head when he clearly didn't. So I Ah, know. maybe he's too hurt to come on camera. <laughs> maybe his feelings are too hurt, maybe. Yeah. And that but that you do that to yourself, you know. Yep. He he's making himself look worse, but if he's out there selling that fake injury and won't come on camera because he wants to eliminate the Undertaker, that's a sad thing. And you know what? I'll even say this. I don't know if I want to give credit to this, but man, it is possible to work yourself into an injury if you are high enough, like in an emotional state. Oh, yeah. So for all we know, Hulk Hogan really did think he got dropped on his head, even though he didn't. He he made up this story in his head and he stuck to it. So I don't know. I will always argue the great power of Hulk Hogan is that he can work himself up to being convinced of anything. Sure, yeah. It just Usually you don't think, like, you think he's probably savvy enough in his head to know the truth, but I don't even know if that's true all the time, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great fall. Like, I really believe in his mind 
he thought for sure he was going to be in Hollywood right now, and it's not happening. And now even the fallback plan is falling back. So yeah, I wonder. I obviously Suburban Commando I think didn't do great, but um, you know I think it maybe did better than No Holds Barred. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know where that is in the timeline, so I don't know how much he's thinking about that and what he's thinking about that. So that's that's interesting as well. I think by his timeline, we're at least past some of the place where he's just talking about like he was injured and burned out and right, you know, yeah. his mind was on other things and he wasn't really about the business during this time. And Oh, sure. I mean, that's going to come out on screen, I think, because like you said, he's going to sit down with this man and he's going to pretty much announce like I'm done after WrestleMania 8. Yeah. Like that'll be part of part of the storyline, part of the conversation on screen. So, yeah, it's clearly in the mix. And we're going, we're talking about an era where the heels are now being cheered over Hulk Hogan, or at least cheered with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And we, we, we're going from Hulk Hogan refusing to be on camera to the Undertaker, who has no problem being on camera. <laughs> and he's not even alive, so. <laughs> yeah. I love this girl. Monsoon says, where are you? And Gene Eklund says, not quite sure. <laughs> oh, my God. You talked about undertaker and jake being outsiders and being on the move and here they are in a place where you don't even know if they're actually like they're probably in the arena but are they you know or did they kind of sidestep through the wall into kind of another space i'm not sure but it definitely could be that yeah and it's again just like with bobby heen it's this emphatic well hulk hogan was crying and then he refused to come on camera paul bear says just matter of fact like nothing is immortal Hulk Hogan died here this very evening. Oh, my God. And the more we think about it, the more true that kind of feels. So, wow. (laughs) Um, Undertaker says, we warned you, and the only thing left is this Tuesday. It is – it's nonchalant, if anything. Mm. Hulk Hogan has been buried and defeated by a one-year rookie, and he is nonchalant. In the whole occurrence, it's like he never watched wrestling till now. He doesn't even know what he did. <laughs> I was going to say they were confident, but it's not even that. They're just supremely matter of fact about yeah. it. Like they're just stating a fact. They're not even making a claim. They're just saying what's true. So it's great. I love this little segment. What a great thing to close the show with as well. It's a beautiful way to close the show. And it's also what I was saying for years. That I think the way to beat Hulk Hogan is to simply not engage his rhetoric and just do your thing. Mm, absolutely. Uh, one final great bit of production. This ends with uh, the camera kind of like going into a casket and it ends with Undertaker, like closing the lid on that camera. So that man, what a great little bit of production that was. That was wonderful. I thought. Yeah. That was a beautiful way to go out, and it's so different than what we've seen in this era. And fair or unfair, I don't think Tuesday in Texas was ever going to do well because it's asking too much. Yeah. But you got to wonder what WWF thought of. It gets, I think, under half the buy rate. Yeah, it does. And the whole thing is built on Hulk Hogan might be dead or will he come back, you know? <laughs> it's such a bizarre – like, why was this not in December at least? Like, yeah. Or I guess it was, but, like, a little farther on. Like, it was December 3rd, five days, I think, six days after this show. And it's just, it's ridiculous. So, God. (sighs) WWE getting a a jump on their ridiculous pay-per-view schedule of years that will come later. So, Oh, yeah. They're going to make our lives a lot more difficult later on. (laughs) At least we won't be watching into the eras where they have a pay-per-view, like, every three weeks or something. Yes. So... We're just going to be watching In Your House 77 in the same year that In Your House 1 took place. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lord. Oh, my God. I think they were a little slower back then, and Todd Pettingale is going to give away a house, so it's got its own thing going. Oh, yeah. we got a whole different vibe, a whole different world in just a few years here. That that's not, that shows you how far they've fallen, though, because, man, you know, to give away a house on pay-per-view, whereas I think they were probably close in the 80s to demanding you give away your house to watch them, and <laughs> you know, it's all been flipped. Hey, they gave away a car at the Wrestling Classic in, in mm. 85, so there's some precedent. <laughs> okay, so we have gone from WrestleMania 1 to the end of Survivor Series 91. Yeah, yeah, we've come uh, a number of years when we uh, return from hiatus. We'll be approaching uh, WrestleMania 8 very quickly. Uh, first, of course, Tuesday in Texas, and then a show that we are monumentally excited to cover, the Royal Rumble 1992. It's really going to be something. I, I can't wait to get into that. I'm not sure how long we'll be gone. I will try uh, my best not to make it a very long hiatus, but uh, I have no idea what my life is going to look yes. like in a few weeks. So I will take the time that I need. I will have my priorities straight. Yeah, take as much time as you need. That is definitely uh, the thing that needs to happen. This stuff, the good stuff about this is always going to be around, at least the best we can tell right now. Um, I, in some ways, I think, too, you brought flair in the NWA, which is a more sophisticated, you know, street smart survival place. Mm. And man, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan looked super smart. He was the smartest guy in a company full of people who were kind of bought into the same storyline that he was in. I really think with The Undertaker, with Flair, they're not buying in. They're not like, let's have an angle where you're better than all of us and you end up beating us. Like, they have simply just started defying that whole thing. Like, let's just not do that. Mm. And he doesn't seem to yet have a follow up. So, you know, I think we're leaving at one of the most important times. You know, where this company is actually having its transition. It's not a weird house show where Bret Hart beats Ric Flair. Um, it's not this, that, or the other. We are in a transition just because we're going to see the ghost of Hulk Hogan come back two or three times and do absolutely nothing of <laughs> merit with what he gets. We are already in that transition, in my opinion. Absolutely so. We are deep into that transition. It really is a time of transitions. We've got the transition in the WWF we're covering. It's a transition in my life because things are changing. And also a transition, I got to say, uh, the WWE Network, as we know it, going away pretty much this weekend. And that is a big RIP for me. Uh, yeah. I have gotten tremendous time and content and enjoyment out of that service. I spent, uh, as of right now, it's still working for me. I watched a few minutes of Chris Jericho on Nitro before uh, we started the show today. So I've been watching a lot of WCW. I'm going to keep doing it until that network shuts off for good because I don't know what the hell's going to happen on Peacock. It's not looking that promising to me. Maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, I have a feeling we're in for a big downgrade on that. So that also will be a different world when we come back. Yeah, I'm not fully sure what I'm going to do with Peacock, so I know you want to have that conversation right now, <laughs> but... It is a weird time. It's a transition. Uh, Chris Jericho is about to be on Stone Cold's podcast on WWE Network. So, oh, so, so the world is in a strange, strange um, upheaval right now. No kidding. Yeah, everything is weird right now. But, uh, hey, I got my first vaccination, too, just uh, earlier this week. So Same. everything's transitioning in all sorts of weird ways. What will the world look like when we come back? We really have no idea. Which one did you get? 
uh, Pfizer, I believe. Same. I got. Yeah. I think April twenty first will be my next one. And oh, very nice. Yeah, mine's on the schedule. I forget the date, but somewhere right around there. So yeah, feeling you feeling good about it? You feeling? All yeah. Right? Any side effect? Like I got a little bit of a headache, but I just felt like I had the greatest dose of NyQuil that I'd ever had. <laughs> yeah, I felt a bit tired, arm a bit sore, but nothing real uh, significant. I was feeling quite good actually overall. Yeah. So. I'm glad to be on the other side of it. And I've heard that more often the next one might get you a little more than the first one, but I've also heard a few people who had the first one uh, got them a little more. And it just came out that this one is at least six months. So I'm looking forward to maybe having a summer where I can see human beings, you know, and mm-hmm. feel like a human being quite possibly. If I can disconnect from the Internet, maybe I can feel like a human being for a little while. <laughs> you know, that would be nice. Oh, I'm so damn introverted that I'm almost like uh, trepidatious a little about everyone trying to go out and uh, live those human lives you speak of again. But yeah. uh, no, it'll be good. Uh, it'll be nice to have the option anyway. And uh, there's a few places even I would like to go. So, yeah, I am looking forward to it. And... Yeah, I've been in a relationship for three years and it's been long distance for two years. And one of them has now been a pandemic. So, oh man. You know, I would like to be able to see my significant other and my family again. No kidding. Yeah, I have not seen my uh, immediate family in person in over a year, and that's never happened before in my whole mm. life. So that that alone, um, yeah, no, it's all to the good. Absolutely. Yeah, and I just want to say to people, because I'm talking to myself here, like, I don't know. Different people are going to feel different ways about the world, but, like, I sometimes can just look at the news for one to three minutes and feel like what is the point in trying in life because nothing's ever going to be okay. And I don't want you to um, have to ignore those feelings. Those are very real feelings. But at the same time, I keep telling myself, nobody's going to do anything for you. Nobody's going to fight back for you. You know, even in the worst of times, you got to figure out how to create a life, live a life, survive a life that's manageable. And so like I'm, I'm honestly so excited for you and what you're doing. It ge- it gives me strength and energy just to, for people who I care about and people who I think are good people to be doing good things. So however we can help each other, that's what this show has been about. Uh, that's what the forums, your interaction on Twitter is about. So, you know, I would just like to encourage people as we go away, you know, find a way to surprise yourself or surprise other people because, we started this show when I felt like I was too tired to do anything. And sometimes, at least for myself, doing for others allows me to do something when I can't do for myself. So whatever the thing is for you, find a way to feel good however you can. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you know, do what you need to do to feel better. And let's try to make each other feel better despite what's going on around us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love all of that. Do what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled, what helps you, what helps others in the world. Do it all. Don't harm anyone. Um, and just, uh, yeah, there, there are beautiful ways to live your life and uh, try not to be bogged down in the troubles because there are many and they are serious, but uh, there's a lot of beautiful stuff as well out there. So thank you. What a wonderful uh, thought to leave us on here. Yeah. Make some choices, some good ones. Some bad ones, maybe not too bad, but, you know, make some choices. <laughs> Miz fans made some choices. Mystic might make some choices. Who knows where we're going to be or who we're going to be by the time we're talking to you again. But by God, I can honestly say I have nothing but good feelings for everyone who listens to this. I thank you for the journey that you've been on with us. And I thank you 
uh, for allowing us to be able to take these hiatuses when we need to. Mm. And honestly, I look forward to where we all are when we come back together. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for listening. If you still have the network, go watch some WCW before it goes away. Who knows if you'll ever be able to see it again. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Congratulate me, if you will, <laughs> on uh, the kid that's coming along. It's very exciting. Uh, please do also check out uh, LPForums.com, WrestlingHeadlines.com. There's so much great written material. Uh, believe me, I understand better than most that uh, forums are not uh, people's go-to anymore. But, man, it's such a nice way to have conversations. Such a great community still. And uh, I do hope people will check that out. And then, of course, the other great programs on LOP Radio. Just a lot of wonderful material there for you to engage in. Hopefully make your life a little better, a little brighter. So that is all we've got. We'll be back soon, I hope. But it will be what it will be. It will be Tuesday in Texas when we come back. It will be a very exciting time. So stay tuned. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, whenever that shall be. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen Every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya